0: Welcome
1: to Fandom Power. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's uh, Wes, Hank, and Andy. We're back. So, everybody, uh, welcome back to Fandom Power. This week, it's... uh, Chapter seventeen of the Mandal, I mean, uh, sorry, chapter five of the book of Boba Fett. This is the way. This is the way. Apparently, something Everybody... became
2: you know beyond all the like you know because we're going to get right into it, but
1: yeah, something yeah, hit
2: yeah. me hit me right off the bat uh, about and maybe do tell do tell maybe this is part part of the reason why people don't like the other thing that's going on. Uh,
1: I don't, I don't think it's very founded that they don't. But last week. Uh, it's so I had said it, that some of the fan, the fan uh, rhetoric was Dinjarin is a better Boba Fett than Boba Fett, and then suddenly we we have a quasi pseudo episode of The Mandalorian thrust on right. us, and then the fan community essentially rejoiced <laughs> this past week.
2: Right, right.
1: So Boba Fett is like
2: a a prologue for a character from the past. It's like this got to be the swan song for that character. Yeah, I don't mean maybe his death, but and because of that, it's steeped very much in in the old old Star Wars stuff. So the references yeah. are all coming from mostly A New Hope, and then you know there's some Return of the Jedi stuff, uh, some Empire stuff. But like the you know like the aliens that are in it, the uh, the situations, the towns, the cities, yeah. the distances, yeah, yeah. the type of things are all steeped in uh, Tatooine sort of lore, if you will. So it reminds us yeah. of that that time, and, and it became really clear to me when I was thinking about it that as an entity the mandalorian is not an extension of those things it's an extension of the clone wars and rebels <laughs> it's an extension of the animated yep. stuff and you yep. it's when you put them up like that against one another yep. you switch gears so quickly you really really can tell all the references are from clone wars and rebels all the like you know so
1: referential right to uh i mean- I think we've I've used both terms interchangeably, uh, the Mando verse, or as you and I uh, are fond of saying, the Felony verse. Right. So of course it's going to be referential to those things. And so I I
2: just think that that's uh, I mean whether the people realize it or not, that could be why because you're getting uh, you're getting a narrow slice of the universe still with Boba Fett with the yeah. galaxy, and that's that's okay because all we ever really did was get a sort of a big event, but with a narrow perspective in the, in yeah, the first three films. And I think that what The Mandalorian does is it gives us a much broader perspective of the galaxy. And, uh, and, and I think maybe that's what people really want is to, is to something new, uh, just, ty- just barely dipped in something familiar.
1: I'm going to bring uh, up something. We've talked about this back on our other review series, but uh, way back when, when uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars was announced. So we're going all the way back to uh, the early aughts. Uh, We also had that announcement for a live action Boba Fett project. Right now. That's before before George sold the farm. And uh, just as we had speculated back on our Mandalorian stuff, I think, and I'm going to say it again, I think some of the ideas and some of the, the concepts that have made their way into The Mandalorian may have been held over from whatever that project originally was conceived to be. Hence, the Din Djarin is a better Boba Fett than Boba Fett. I mean, this, they abandoned the Boba Fett thing for whatever reason, turned it into The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And then remember, remember when they said that Boba was going to get a spinoff and they didn't even know what it was going to be called. Right, right. This whole like, is it going to be just season three of The Mandalorian and and it's just going to focus on him or is it going to be something else? Add in that Lucasfilm has already said that as The Mandalorian progresses that, you know, what, four or five seasons in, they said, you know, it will cease to be The Mandalorian as we know it and it will be something else. Whether they call it something else, I don't know. But I will say this. Uh, Andy, I think you're in the same boat. I am a fan of the CW Arrowverse shows. Yes. And arguably, some of the best episodes of those are the crossover episodes. For sure. So you're sitting there watching an episode of Arrow, and you have all these other characters. And maybe maybe Oliver Queen doesn't feature that heavily in his own episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, there is nothing... There is nothing so egregious in the book of Boba Fett or in this episode uh, for that matter to be like glaringly like, oh, this is a no, 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 it's, it's great. It's, it's uh, it's exceptional entertainment
3: and I love it. Well, the CW had one of those this week. Why? What happened this week? On the uh, Superman and Lois. Fair enough. It's been building for weeks now and oh, okay, you've okay. seen the fist punching underground. Oh
1: Boom. yeah. 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 And
3: the creature finally jumps out. Big green containment suit. Yep. Yep. And it ain't Doomsday. Oh. (laughs) It's bizarro.
1: Oh, that's still, that's rewarding enough, though. Eh,
3: I don't know. All right, well. even name-dropped Doomsday earlier in the episode, so it's like, oh, but then no. If
1: you want a good Doomsday story, go watch Krypton.
3: Yes, that
1: was an excellent Too bad it got canceled, unfortunately. It is too bad. It is too bad, but that's okay. Uh, So, it is uh, Chapter 5 of the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, Anybody want to throw some cursory, any more cursory thoughts out before we get into it? Thank Farrick, it was good. <laughs> Wizard. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, uh, it was fantastic, and uh, we're going to have all of the... Hopefully, we didn't miss anything this week. I know that there's a lot of things uh, to cover this week. <clears throat> things are going to go a little different this week because this is the longest episode of the show so far. Uh, we have split up the writing duties. That means uh, I'm going to cover the front half of the episode, and Andy, you've got the back half, so...
3: Uh, I will attempt to do it
1: justice. <laughs> I have every. I'm, I'm the color commentator. Colored comment. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one is uh, the book of Boba Fett, chapter five, Return of the Mandalorian, it debuted uh, Wednesday, January twenty sixth on uh, Disney Plus. This one has a runtime, a whopping runtime of fifty two minutes with your credits. Or forty six minutes and fifty five seconds without. So yes, as I said, this is the longest episode of the show. Lends itself to the idea that uh, the last three, as you say, Hank, may just be the uh, the the three act play. Mm. We get something you know more akin to feature length uh, storytelling. Once again, no post credit scene in this one. Although I'm still expecting something at the end of the season to set up something else, whether it's another. Another Star Wars show or a subsequent season of one of the the two that we're already enjoying.
3: But we did get a plethora more of concept art. Uh, yes, we absolutely did. And some of it does change from concept to the final. So
1: yeah, I actually referenced the concept art this weekend, something that I'm not 100% sure on anymore, but we'll talk about it when we get to it. Yep. Once again, written by uh, John Favreau and uh, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard who needs no introduction. She's already had a a hand at uh, both seasons of the Mandalorian. And uh, it seems like the general consensus is uh, we want her to come back and direct more. Yes. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about that?
2: Yeah. Hey, if it it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's certainly some chemistry with, you know, at least with the the world, as much as a director adds their own, you know, spin and style to the thing she seems to understand what's going on with the world her her, her choice of shots and and, and action uh, impeccable stuff uh they, they all have a great team working for them to help them do things but and and you can see too when you have a few episodes that were robert rodriguez you could see yeah, how yeah. different directors actually approach things differently it's kind of a neat microcosm a lot of people are saying hey give her give her a trilogy
1: Hey, <laughs> yeah, I saw that But let's, Am I opposed to that? Eh, I, I don't know I'm not opposed not. to it But
2: maybe something Like collaborative uh, Sure If we go sure. big Why not use everybody We've got to go collaborative Like I think You yeah, could really yeah, do yeah, Something
1: yeah. crazy then Fair enough all right, I'm not going to get into any of the uh, the fan complaints this week because they're very far and few between. But I suspect they'll be back next week.
3: <laughs> well, the only one I heard majorly was the best episode of the Book of Boba Fett was an episode was a, of the Mandalorian. a Mandalorian
1: episode, sure. And I mean, I I definitely have no issues with saying, yep. <laughs> but you know, as again, I, as I have previously explained, crossover episodes not a new thing, not a new thing for me, and doesn't take me out of the storytelling one bit. No. So I'm I'm happy to consume it, and uh, I, I can guess. read two
2: books at once.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which really brings up that whole uh, notion of the the next book. I mean, we can just we can swap out Mandalorian for Mandalorian, and it could be anybody's book the going book forward. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Book of, uh, Reeves, if yeah, exactly. we really want to, sure, sure, and that other guy. <laughs> Although the popular, uh, a a popular, I'll say the popular, but a popular opinion is that Grogu is the Mandalorian that is referenced in the title of the Mandalorian. Hmm. That was a new one I saw this week. And that, that in itself is an interesting uh, exploration, but uh, we'll save that one for another time. We got a lot to get through tonight, so let's get right into it. It is The Return of the Mandalorian. Our episode begins... With the camera fade into the interior of a meat processing facility. A uh, Klatooinian butcher prepares some cuts of meat, while another carries uh, more meat on his shoulder across the room. The camera then centers on a doorway. It's covered by uh, ribbons of plastic curtains. And on the other side, we can see the familiar armored silhouette of a Mandalorian. Parting the curtains, Din Djarin, replete with his full array of gadgetry, slides purposefully into the room. I want to talk about the uh, the cuts of meat here for a second because there was some discussion about what that may be, and uh, the concept art kind of plays into this because we saw uh, some horned uh, animals, and I, the the first impression was, oh, those are tauntauns.
2: <laughs> I think they're nerfs. Like, I do. They, yeah, they totally look more like because that's the 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 sort of bovine
1: equivalent. Yeah, the the, Star the, Wars. the the Star Wars uh cow bison anyway what do we call uh yeah totally uh th- they have to be nerfs i mean nerf uh uh nerf uh as in like you know
4: um why you stuck up <laughs> half-witted scruffy looking nerf herder
1: yeah been calls, you know she calls him a dirty cowboy That's right. It's been a staple of Star Wars since, uh, you know, 1980 (laughs) and certainly all the expanded universe or legends material has basically made out the nerf to be like the number one food animal in the Star Wars universe. So to me, those are nerfs hanging there. That's that's yeah, heavy. A nerf herder is a cowboy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
3: And it's nice to see like a meatpacking plant, you know.
1: Once again, we saw it back in that episode of The Mandalorian uh, with the guys on the dock. We get to see more of everyday life yeah. on another world, yeah. right? I like the way that, that, that there's a there's a huge uh, plethora of
2: looks to the Cla- Two Indians. Yeah, uh, I, th- I thought that the. Uh, the Nick two biker gangs. Well, maybe that, maybe that race is very super similar to one another, but they look like they reused a lot of assets there across a couple of episodes. I think These so guys too. all look so like there was some really good, they remind me of like a 1930s, like, you know, strike breaker film with all yep. the, yeah, the they mean did. mugs and the different, yeah. <laughs> you know, hard chiseled, grizzled cats. And, and yeah, like really good job at that. That's fantastic.
1: Uh, you think of the number of, you know, the number of breeds of dog, Right in the world, and, and when you consider that Klatuinians are very, very much steeped in sort of canine sort of yeah. physiology, Dogman. of course yeah. they're going to look, yeah, and they look pretty cool. Yeah, fantastic. A lot of it I th- think was practical too. Uh, absolutely it was. Yeah, and that, that kind of was one of the complaints from uh, from the Kababayez uh, character, that uh, people were saying that the prosthesis in his mouth made it, you know, took them out of it because it was like, you know, hey, you get some marbles in your mouth. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have a problem with it. No, I yeah. didn't
2: feel taken He probably wouldn't sound that bad if he was speaking his native language.
1: You know. Does nobody remember McGruff? Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> a crying dog. Exactly. That's right. Take a bite out of Din Djarin's hand. That's
1: right. Uh, so, casually walking around the meat cutting room, uh, Mando catches the attention of several of the Klatooinian butchers, uh, but he has no interest in them. Instead, makes his way to another curtain door at the back of the room. Stepping through the curtains into a back room, several Klatooinians are conferring around a table that's just covered in credits. As Mando steps up to the table, one of them moves in behind him. The Mandalorian says to the men seated at the table that he's here for, Cababayez. And the Klatooinian seated across the table from him says, What makes you think he's even here? Mando produces a tracking fob from his belt and shows it to the man who asks him what he wants Cababayez for. Mando plainly answers that uh, he owes money to uh, someone important. The Klatsuinian asks Mando uh, who is it that's looking for him, but uh, Mando tells him it's not his business and he's just here to bring him in. The Klatsuinian uh, tries to dissuade Mando by telling him that if he sees Cababayas, he'll let him know. But Mando isn't put off in the slightest as he activates a bounty puck and places it on the table telling the man, I see him right now. A holographic image of uh, Cabo Baez rotates from the puck. The Klatooinian chuckles and says, that's not me. That doesn't even look like me. At the, same that's time, the exact more, same uh, line that
2: the uh, Mithril gives, too, in it, uh, yes. Season 1, Episode 1. <laughs> it totally the exact is. same line.
1: Uh, more Klatooinians stack up uh, in behind Mando. Uh, fully aware of his surroundings, Mando tells the other Klatooinians that uh, they can simply walk away because he has no quarrel with them. But uh, Cabo Baez tells him, they're not going anywhere, and it looks like you're surrounded. And continuing, he says, but you look like the practical type. And making a sweeping gesture over the credit-laden table, he looks up at Mando and he says, uh, let's discuss our options. The uh, credit, uh, the bounty puck, uh, I, I tried to get the, uh, the, the best I could. It was really hard to interpret the numbers through the glow of the, the puck, but I think... I've got his credit value or his bounty, uh, his bounty uh, number down to 9,920 credits. There you go. I could be wrong. If anybody else has a better account on that, I'd love to know about it. But uh, that's the best interpretation that I could give you. This week, uh, the Kaba Baez is played by uh, Ardashir Radpour. Now, this is his uh, second appearance uh, in the Book of Boba Fett. He also played the Klaatuinian Don that uh, was voiced by Phil Lamarr back in Chapter 4. Apparently, he's going to be in five of the six upcoming episodes of uh, the Obi-Wan series. Now, he's got uh, a big, uh, long career. He's got over 50 film and and television credits as a stunt performer. And uh, again, over 50 uh, appearances uh, in various tough guy roles. Not a lot of speaking parts for this guy. Mando gestures uh, slightly with his head while slowly reaching for his blaster as he tells uh, Cabo Baez. Uh,
3: I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold.
1: All right. So, oh, before we get before I get into the the first fight here of the show, I just want to bring up that uh, tried and true as we have come to expect. Mando is ever the bullet magnet that he's always been. (laughs) He fights hard, but uh, he takes a lickin' (laughs) several times over. So Okay. All right. So uh, suddenly the Klatwinian guards attack. One of them lunges at Mando, uh, biting his hand, forcing him to drop his pistol. A second guard comes at him swinging a cleaver, but Mando is able to block it with one of his shin guards. A third guard blasts him on the back of the head. Fortunately, the Beskar helmet absorbs the shot, but the guard keeps unloading his pistol into Mando's back, knocking him off balance. Igniting the Darksaber, Mando promptly disarms the guard of his pistol, but isn't fast enough to avoid a blow to the head from another guard with a cleaver. Once again, the Beskar helmet takes the blow, and Mando kicks him in the chest, sending him flying, but these guards are motivated, and a third Klaatuinian shoots him in the head. Mando doesn't go down and instead beats the blaster out of his grip, then backhands him on the chin, sending him flying. Now, the cleaver guard gets back to his feet and lunges at Mando with a pronounced overhead chop. But uh, he's too slow as the Mandalorian swings the Darksaber horizontally, cutting him and a side of Nerf in half. The Darksaber weighs heavy in Mando's grip and he has to use both hands to swing it. Deftly avoiding another cleaver strike from one of the guards, Mando runs him through. But when he pulls the lightsaber out of the man, the blade drops clumsily against the unarmored side of his leg, scorching it badly. Yet yet another guard on the attack, uh, Mando forces himself back to his feet, parrying an unarmed strike with his armored gauntlet. He quickly rabbit punches the man in the face before bending him backwards in a reverse headlock and just as the second guard grabs his sword arm and tries to rend, uh, rend the Darksaber from his grip. Now, tied up by two of the guards, Cababayez makes his move. Standing up, he grabs the blaster on the table and he points it at the Mandalorian. Wrestling his sword arm free, Mando lets go of the man in the headlock and makes one haymaker of a horizontal saber swing, cutting down both platuinians, Wounded and tired, Mando drops to one knee, while Cabo Baez advances, blasting him relentlessly. Shielded by his jetpack, he draws a knife, and when Baez is close enough, Mando springs around and plunges it into the Klaatuinian's chest. Driving him backward, Mando body slams him on the table, then, taking the Darksaber in both hands, he cleaves both the man and table in twain. <laughs>
2: that was like...
3: Can't be planned with those things. It's not no. your
2: dad, Star Wars.
1: <laughs>
2: you know... that was uh, That was some beautiful violence there. I, another little small little tidbit I noticed. I've watched the episode probably twenty times. In sure, four days. sure. I watched it like crazy. Uh, yeah. He he. When he's not dual wielding both hands, yeah. Uh, yeah. or two hand wielding, he's wielding left handed. Oh, really? Ninety percent of that? Yeah, yeah. He definitely he's got he wields. His I blast don't think with his I right noticed hand. that. Yeah, watching it, I was thinking of you, right? And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wields left handed ninety percent of that fight when he's, he's like, when, when he's not he's two-handed. like
1: the, like the switch hitter.
2: Right. Hmm. Well, he's like. I don't know if it's to sell action figures, but that lightsaber in the, the left in hand, one hand and blaster, blaster in the right in the hand, <laughs> right? You know, like that's how we, that's how we used to play when we were kids, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, as Mando stops for a moment to assess his injuries, a lone Clatuinian comes out from hiding and promptly hightails it out of the room. Oh, did I hit the wrong one? Oh yeah. I hit the wrong one. There we go. Uh, out on the meat cutting floor, all the other Klatooinian workers have gathered in front of the strip curtains. Um, they watch as the blade of the Darksaber drops one more time, readying themselves with cleavers and other tools. They wait for the Mandalorian to come out. But a moment later, when he does come out, he's limping and clearly has lost some use of the hand that was bitten. But now he's also carrying a round sack, bearing the head of Cabo Baez inside.
3: So I don't think he'll be showing up again. I <laughs> think Obi-Wan's a prequel.
1: Maybe in a in a picture somewhere, you know. Maybe. Somebody, you know, justice for my dad or something like (laughs) that. (laughs) All right. Never know. No, that's so true. Yeah. Uh, Where am I at here? Uh, Former employer. Former employer. There we go. Oh, okay. Um, With nothing to lose, Mando tells the gathered workers that he's just there for the bounty on their boss. And there's a whole pile of Republic credits in the other room. He asks if they would be so noble as to let him pass. They could help themselves to whatever they thought they deserved. After a brief exchange of glances between themselves, the Clatuinians part and let Mando pass. Then, one by one, they all rush past him to gather their just rewards, and Mando hobbles away. And then we get this week's title credits. It is The Book of Boba Fett. It is Chapter 5, Return of the Mandalorian. All right. Camera cuts to a uh, somewhere in space. We can see the superstructure of what appears to be some kind of spacecraft. But as the camera pans upward, it is revealed to be an enormous habitat ring near a star. So The, good. Ring, the ring is not a complete <clears throat> circle, and its open space creates a day-night cycle as it rotates. The habitat ring, uh, again, so how many people under the age of 30 went... It's
2: Halo! So many articles about Halo. <laughs> Me going, no!
1: <laughs> no! All right. Well, you know, we, we've talked about it before. Everything, uh, virtually everything in our entertainment space is derivative of something else. And this 100%, is one no hundred percent, 100%. And, this and is no different.
2: Star Wars is always uh, borrowed from the best things, you know? Like Sure. Sure uh, it has. Like Dune. <laughs> and, yeah, and Exactly. You know, and nobody's ever, <laughs> you know, it's an homage. It's not... Uh, I, I've never seen it any other way. It's an homage to Kurosawa. It's an homage yeah, to the, yeah, yeah. the old westerns and the, the World War II fighter pilot movies, and no, so this, this is no different.
1: Well, on the subject of uh, habitat rings, you know they're they're definitely not new in science fiction, and so the the earliest the earliest form of that comes in the form of Larry Niven's novel, his 1970 novel, Ringworld, which that Literally. in itself is based on. Actual scientific concepts, the uh, idea of the Dyson Sphere. Yeah. But we've my seen favorite, it in several the,
2: properties. Uh, my favorite Star Trek Next Generation episode, actually.
1: Oh, the Dyson uh, the, the Dyson, Dyson Sphere, sphere episode, yeah. This is one where they pick up Scotty, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, but the, we've seen it lots of times. We've seen it in uh, uh, Elysium. We've seen it, uh, obviously, in Halo. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Star Trek reference, the Yorktown station from uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. And right. what about the Kuat Drive Yards in Star Wars? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, at what point though, at what point does your, does your ring world cease to be a space station and it becomes its own thing? Hmm. I think, I think in terms of this one,
2: uh, I mean, where they, they heavily lean on even the day night cycle, they heavily lean on the the original ring world from the the 1970 novel. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where they, they give you some statistics in that novel just to give you an idea that that's that's the orbit of like the, the Goldilocks zone of a planet. Yeah. so that's, that, that thing is as big around as say like the, like the, the radius would be 93 million miles from the earth to the sun. So that, that ring is a 180 million miles, something like that. that.
1: Vast. I got the impression that the, uh, that the day night cycle was really, really fast considering it's just like nighttime day.
2: You, it would have to be (laughs) rotating really fast to have gravity yes and the the explanation is that in the in the ringworld novels it's it rotates so fast that gravity creates uh, its own atmosphere
0: and that yeah. originally
2: they tried a Dyson sphere ala star trek yeah, yeah 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 gravity around didn't the work anywhere but at the equator so they simplified
1: it and just turned into a ring oh that's cool cuz yeah. i was actually going to clip it's unfortunate because the uh the the imagery wasn't very good but i was going to to put up the image of the death star from revenge of the Sith, which when the superstructure isn't there, it's just a series of, of rings, right. Almost right. like a gyroscope. And um, so that's thinking,
2: another thing I was thinking about, like how the, the, the trench scene is the, uh the, the equatorial version trench. of that. Like, the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. the, the, this thing is the inverse, the, uh, the negative version of it.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Okay. So down at street level, the Mandalorian walks through a section of the ring during its night cycle. The streets are bustling with people going about their business and no one pays any attention to him. Uh, Trudging forward, still holding on to his grim package. Mando is bathed in light as the rotation of the habitat ring moves into daylight. Uh, Mando approaches a lift and shares it with a citizen of the ring.
2: (laughs) I love this scene. (laughs) Uh, Again, normal life, right? Yeah. Um, there's there's a scene in Die Hard uh, where he uh, he's going before the movie even gets going where he goes up in the elevator with a guy and uh, it's just it's like an awkward silence between two people and how like that's such a real thing how often is yeah. that yeah, yeah happen yeah, yeah. so I love I love that stuff a lot uh, humor, I do it doesn't as well feel forced like it fits very natural
1: I like the mundane I like the uh, the going about their business it's almost like you know. Um, there were episodes of Firefly that were really good at at doing that. Just like they just showed up on a world, walked into a building and people were just kind of going about their stuff. You and know, my like favorite not- thing
2: about the 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 modern version of Battlestar Galactica is you walk up yeah. and there's a phone on a hook. Yes. And you grab yeah, a receiver yeah. and you start yeah. you know what I mean? Like that yeah, stuff absolutely that stuff grounds you like it, you for sure it does imagine. If it wasn't there. You wouldn't realize it wasn't there, but it grounds you at a level you can't really yeah, 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 yeah. perceive, you know, like we can, we're cool. So if you thought you've, <laughs> uh,
1: if you thought you had seen this, uh, species before you have, uh, this is the species referred to as the cascadag, uh, and these guys are relatively new, uh, new essentially in the, uh, the Disney canon of, uh, star Wars. Uh, they first showed up at uh, Maz Kanata's castle in The Force Awakens, and then we mm. get a single appearance from one of them uh, on Kento Bite during uh, The Last Jedi. The scene where the Fathiers are running through the streets. Right, right. This this guy is actually on the street. And has to duck down an alleyway so as not to get run over.
2: At first, I thought he was uh, very similar to the, uh, the the Jedi that gets killed in the arena in Geonosis. That's kind of got that dinosaur oh, head.
1: Yes, yes, I thought I it was super that.
2: close. But then I, I looked it up, and it wasn't quite, you know, perfect.
1: This species is actually—it's funny because uh, the one thing that Star Wars, <laughs> the Star Wars is famous for, is like we have to like name and define everything down to the minutia. Yeah. And uh, this species, they are so new that their homeworld doesn't even have a name. It's just the <laughs> home homeworld. That's awesome. That's all it's referred to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, after a short trip up on the uh, turbo lift, Mando steps out into some sort of nightclub. Pausing for a moment to survey the room, he makes his way uh, into a back room where a bright blue Ishi Tib is hosting a private party.
3: Now, the another
1: e- uh, yeah, another one.
3: Walk into a nightclub.
1: Yep. <laughs> the Ishitib calls him a good hunter and commends him on the speed with which he just completed the job. Mando places the sack containing Bayez's head on the table and asks for his reward, including the information that he was promised. Again, speaking
2: Hatiz, uh, And again, the translation of the Hatis is in the identical yeah. font from A New Hope.
1: Yes. When the Ishitib asks him why he's rushing business, he tells her that my business is my own. Where is it? Attempting to stall, the ishi beckons him a second time to sit, only this time Mando asks very bluntly, where is the closest access shaft to the ring's substrata? Now, the ishi demands that he sit and take the meal with them, or she won't tell him anything. So, picking up the severed head, the Mandalorian turns to leave, saying that there's a bounty hunt on this uh, Klaatuinian, and if you won't give me the information, someone else will. So blurting out the location of the entrance, Mando places the bag back on the table and picks up a bundle of credits the Ishi Tib tries one more time to convince him to sit saying that she has another job for him. But Mando just points at the sack and says, I'd put that on ice if I were you. And he mm-hmm. limps back through the nightclub to get on the lift. I like the inclusion of, again, I mean, if there's one thing that this uh, show does to keep us connected to the, the, the bigger, the Boba Fett show is the, the criminal, the criminal element. Cause there is yeah. no way that that, mixed the table of mixed species is there for anything good no. when the human <laughs>
2: male with the long hair i think the uh conjure club guy very similar to yeah
3: very much
2: yeah, very much
3: yeah. yeah so this could come up later in the mandalorian
2: uh absolutely when him could. refusing sure, to sure take could. the next yeah, job
3: yeah. could be well, seen see, as an insult
2: there's a difference here like we see him doing jobs for just for money it's his gig right yes yeah. even even now he's like no i i, I don't want the reward i'm not I, I'm doing bounties for information. He's like, you know, I'll take the right job, but the job is for you know, information. Get him so farther. He, right. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 Just going back to the Ishi Tib for a second here. I'm going to put that up because uh, again, another classic uh, alien who we first saw back in uh, Return of the Jedi, and another Bulba connection. Uh, Ishi Tib was part of Jabba's uh, Jabba's court, his uh, retinue, if it were as it were. True that. Humanoid amphibians first appearing in Return of the Jedi have since shown up in just about every other form of Star Wars media, uh, including The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, The Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels, not to mention several novel and comic book appearances. Although this is probably the first time they've been depicted as bright blue.
3: Similar to the uh, Twi'lek, I guess they got some variation going on.
1: What is the, uh, what's the deal with aquatic species living in the desert? <laughs> <laughs> Far, Far away from home. Living man. in the desert. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to get out of my it's dad's the house. <laughs> <rebel stage. laughs> I wanted to get out of my parents' house.
2: Well, since every third world appears to be made of a desert,
3: it's kind of yeah, hard really. not to.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. I
3: know. Or it was a desert world after it was an ocean world.
1: Oh, that's entirely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A la Tatooine. Yes. Yeah. Stepping into the elevator, the door closes and the lift begins its descent. Amando takes a moment to inspect the terrible burn on his leg and the flesh is charred. Like, if that doesn't say third degree burn to you, then I don't know what does.
3: I don't know. He got off lucky.
1: I, (laughs) yes, I agree. First comment of the night coming in here from uh, Derpy. Derpy's back. This stream is legendary like a bantha. Thank you, sir. We definitely appreciate the support and we're glad to have you along once again, right here on the book of Boba fandom. Okay. So when the lift stops, Mando steps out onto a sub level of the habitat ring. It looks reminiscent of the interior of a large cargo ship with several support columns and bulkheads. Pausing at an intersection to look around Mando activates some controls on his left gauntlet before limping off down the hallway. Now, with his uh, oh, switch over, here we go. With his Mando vision activated, Mando can see some otherwise invisible glyphs uh, with directional arrows on them. Following the glyphs, he comes to a door with the Mythosaur depicted above it. Hitting a button on the control panel uh, next to the door, the door slides open, and the Mandalorian steps through. On the other side of the door lays a network of ladders and catwalks that descend to the openness of space. Mando begins the long downward climb, a simple task were he not wounded. Slipping on one of the rungs, he hangs there for a moment before getting his feet back under him and continuing downward. The camera cuts to a wide shot of the ring substrata. It looks like an inverted city with long spires hanging out the bottom. Then the camera pans up several levels and we can see the Mandalorian walking across an open-sided catwalk. No rails in Star Wars. No railings once again. I knew that was going to come up. Dangerous down there. Railings save lives. Right? <laughs> come on. Railings Thank killed you. Han Solo. In front of him on a lower platform, a figure can be seen kneeling. And as Mando gets closer, we can see that it's the armor. The armorer played by Emily Swallow. She's back. So she's obviously, uh, she made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in case you missed it the first time. I don't know, did we, we didn't really talk about her. You know why We didn't talk about her because when we did season one of the Fandalorian, the we only did the review, the, the overview, because right, we already, sort already of glanced over her. Yeah. We, had, we had not been in the podcasting business. At we, were the time. we were Yeah, we were still finding our way. <laughs> okay, so Emily Swallow, uh, FBI agent Kim Fisher on uh, The Mentalist for 14 episodes, if you remember that. Um, but you probably would remember her better as Amara or the darkness for 14 episodes of supernatural. Mm-hmm. Now, as the armorer kneels uh, silently in meditation, the Mandalorian limps down a staircase towards her reaching the bottom of the stairs. Mando's wounded leg gives out and he falls to the catwalk aware of his presence. The armorer commands an unseen person to tend to him, and the hulking form of Paz Vizla lumbers into frame. He's carrying a med pack with him, and he kneels to examine Mando's wound. Speaking quietly, he says, I didn't know if I would ever see you again. Mando thanks him for the help on Navarro and apologizes for the sacrifices made by the covert. Taking a back to spray and applying it to Mando's burn, he says, There's three of us now. We'll put you to work soon enough. Then the armorer asks, What weapon caused such a wound? and the Mandalorian produces the Darksaber. At the end, uh, or sorry, at the sight of the ancient lightsaber, Paz Vizsla locks his gaze onto it with the realization uh, of exactly what it is. The armorer instructs Paz to bring it to her, and he reverently takes the weapon and carries it to her, all the while unable to take his eyes off of it. I don't know if you guys remember when we were talking about, we were sort of speculating what was going on, and as soon as they name dropped that guy as a vizsla, I was like, "These two are going to throw down at some point." Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was inevitable. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Hello from Argentina. Very nice the narration of this chapter. Uh, chapter uh, that's from, uh, uh, Pedinato Petty. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Uh, so cool. Thank that's you for real joining cool. us. Really enjoy the support. I'm glad that you guys are out there following us along. If you like the show. Uh We do ask and encourage you to share it with your like minded friends and family and uh, let's help make this community a little bit bigger and uh yeah, we'll just keep rolling as long as people enjoy what we're doing.
2: fantastic
1: okay, uh, I just gotta pick up my spot here haha so um getting to her feet and turning uh turning to face the Mandalorian, the armor says all this talk of the empire, and they barely lasted thirty years. Taking the lightsaber from Paz Vizsla and igniting it, she says that Mandalorians have existed for 10,000 years. Then asks Mando, what does he know of the blade? He tells her that it's the Darksaber, and when she asks him if he understands its significance, he answers that whoever wields it can lead all of Mandalore. That's an interesting choice of words, because I believe this is... Pretty much the first reference to leading Mandalore, whereas previously it's been spoken of as ruling Mandalore. I know that it's a subtle, it's a subtle difference, but I mean that
3: it can be a big one.
1: Well, here's the thing, right? Is that a is that just strictly a writing choice, or is there a narrative reason that this is part of the evolution of Dinjarn's character?
3: Could be, like it could play off he has more noble aspirations for Mandalore, whereas. Someone I mean, else might just want to, you know,
1: leadership, rule. leadership versus rulership. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I think it has a lot, maybe a little, a, a little bit, a little bit of B. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Oh, uh, I got a yeah. What am I got here? Uh, where am I at here? Oh yeah. She actually says, uh, what did she say? I've got it here.
4: If it is won by creed in battle, it is said one warrior will defeat 20 and the multitudes will fall before it. If, however, it is not one in combat and falls into the hands of the undeserving, it will be a curse unto the nation.
1: Uh, certainly Emily Swallow could say it a lot better than I could, so I thought that's probably uh, mm. it's the first real big uh, piece, exposition piece that we get on the Darksaber and sort of how it relates to Mandalorian culture, at least in the context of this show.
2: <clears throat> so I, I have a theory about this. I think that the the, the the creed of not taking your helmet off, yeah, uh, is uh, is clearly brand new post the purge that we're about to see. The, uh, uh, I the would agree with you,
1: one hundred percent. Do I agree with you on that?
2: And I'm going to say that the, the this version of wielding the dark saber is retroactively uh, born at the same time.
1: Uh, awesome, yeah.
2: because we see it passed down for generations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Father
2: yeah. to son. Uh, yeah.
1: Through the Visla family.
2: Without uh tragedy befalling Mandalore. I mean, sure. They, yeah, they there's yeah, a lot yeah, of infighting yeah. and stuff. Sure. Absolutely. But, uh, and, and we see, I, it's easy to, to say, uh, a prophecy is true after an event like that happens. So that we know that Bo-Katan Received the sword illegitimately, and therefore uh, was technically in charge during the purge, the siege, and so it's easy for some a a person to go interpret it that way. Uh, Had that been had that been Sabine. According to her, like Sabine yeah, wins it. Yeah. I watch. I just watched this, so uh, a uh, lot of detail. This. Me too. We, me yeah, too. Yeah. Me, I had. And to. having <laughs> won the sword in combat, Sabine <laughs> yeah. actually makes a mistake giving it away. Giving it away. Yeah. But there's no talk at all no. in any episode of, of of Clone Wars or any episode of the Rebels of the significance of how it succeeds.
1: No. And who there's how no,
2: how the rule is attached? There's it's, no saying you get a kill no, for it, right? And so we. Maul wields it. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Um, I it, mean, so I think I it's think a it's, new, uh, I think, I think it's very much the rebirth of Mandalorian culture. I agree uh, as well. After, I after th- the end. Yeah.
1: Think about it. Think about it this way. We, we talked about this in the, the lead up to this week's episode was that we've seen, it's been, it's been well documented that both uh, ideologies on Mandalore Look at Satine's ideology. The, the peace right. movement. They right. didn't wear armor at all. Right. And even the Death Watch took their helmets off. You know. So I mean, we have to remember that this. And she says our sect. So remember, they are the children of the Watch. And as she right. says this week, she expounds uh, expounds that uh, they were cloistered on Concordia, which mm-hmm. means that they were they were children these are kids that were left alone when their parents went off to fight the empire and were killed. Yeah. And now they've just taken the, the tenets of whatever the death watch believed in, and they've just amped it up, you know, multiple times. Well, and surely um, it's
2: been, it's been distorted and mixed and, and, and for I, sure, I, for sure. I don't think that the horns on her, our, our head are, are an accident. I, I, no, I think there's a no, certain amount of, you. Uh, of Maul's influence here. Yeah. It's a holdover um, from the, uh, the, 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 the mall, If I we had a call thought I've been, I've been seeing a lot of Ursa Wren stuff lately and I know you're not exactly on board with that. And I, I do agree that that would undo <laughs> a little bit of her, her arc. Yeah, um, yeah. And I do believe that she's going to be a villain for, for Din Jarn and not a villain for Sabine Wren. But, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible that she's, she's somebody else from, from that, uh, that group or that era. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, a lot of people are like, maybe it's Sabine. Like, they've already cast multiple actresses to play multiple different characters. So I don't, That's right. I don't That's think right. that it's going to be like a trick like that.
1: No, um, I don't think they're going to do that one to us either.
2: But I think you might find that it is a person of some, some, some significance and some, a person from Clone Wars or or Rebels. Uh, yeah. Maybe even something you don't expect, like the, the return Possibly? of the Duchess Satine.
1: Uh, that would be a huge, like, what? Yeah, but, I mean, if they can save Fennec and the droid parts, who knows? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe just,
2: they're reincarnated I, I keep, by the force. You, you get to swing for the fences with something like this. Yeah, but At the yeah. end of the day, she's she's creating. I think she's either she's either growing up believing in the prophecies, or if not creating them herself, and the uh, the idea that she's about to say, uh, you know, the the uh, the mythosaur uh, is the one who oh, should yeah. be wielding yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, let's get into that. Yeah.
1: We've got uh, another comment coming in. Uh, Pedinato Petty, again from uh, YouTube, says, the one who commands the Mandalorians is like the Pope because being a Mandalorian is a creed and not a politician, right? And so, I mean, our understanding of what a Mandalorian is, really it's twofold because both statements are are correct depending, Mm. and again, Star Wars is famous from a certain point of view, uh the creed typically or particularly where this sect is concerned sure sure it's a it's a it's an ideology whether it's political or religious based it's an ideology but there is still and the armorer even says it those who were born of mandalore were all dead or all killed from the uh, the night of a thousand years
2: i kind of i explained it to a friend it think of think of the dark saber as excalibur
1: yeah and think yeah, of the yeah. one
2: who wields it uh uh, I guess like Molnir worthy so, of wielding yeah, yeah. it, worthy, yeah, is the yeah. ruler of Mandalore. But we know that Arthur in that legend wasn't the best fighter out of the out of the Knights No, of the no, no, he wasn't. He yeah. wasn't even close, actually. Um, but he but, was the one that... So it's a symbol. Uh, and and they, do, they do mention that, that in, in Rebels, that it's a symbol. Yep. And, and even uh, Moff Gideon
1: uh, yeah, espouses yeah, yeah.
2: that in that scene on, on the bridge. It, it has no power. The story has the power.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: and I think that's the. I think that. I guess it remains to be seen why, if if that is a new theory or a new a new uh, idea that's been exposed, why Bocatan adheres to it. So there's some yeah, there's some exposition yeah, yeah. needs to happen there.
1: You know, I mean, if we take the armor's interpretation of you know, Bocatan thought she could rule just through simple possession. Mm. Again, there's that difference of ideology. And I mean, we saw it from Bo's side when she met Din Djarin for the first time. And it's the, oh, he's one of them. Like right. they already know Religious who they are. Selves. They're already aware yes. of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens because I think you and I, I think we all have this agreement that over the course of whether it's Boba Fett, The Mandalorian, or the entire uh, Mando verse, I do think we are going to see full circle moment. We are going to get someone take up the mantle of Mandalore. The question yeah. of who it is that's still kind of up for grabs. Just so
2: what, once we finish the the review, I, I have a I have a huge theory about the end game that I want
1: to drop. Oh well, absolutely. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to get to that part of the conversation. So, all right, moving on. Uh, so getting back to his feet, Mando says that the hilt is made of a quality of Beskar that he's never seen before. The Armorer tells him that it was forged over a thousand years ago by the Mandalorian Jedi, Tar Vizla. When Mando tells her that he's met a Jedi, she questions him, Then you have completed your quest. And when he tells her that he has, she tells him that he may rejoin the Covert and help them rebuild. As the three Mandalorians recite the creed to one another, the Armorer hands the Darksaber back to Dinjarin, and Paz Vizsla still cannot take his eyes off it. With a wipe shot from right to left, we transition to another area of the Ring substrata where Paz Vizsla and Din Djarin are assembling a new forge for the armor. As the two men work, Paz asks the Mandalorian where he got the Darksaber. When Mando tells him that uh, he defeated Moff Gideon for it, Paz asks if he killed him. Mando tells him that he didn't, but that he'd been sent, uh, that Moff Gideon has been sent to the New Republic for interrogation and will face justice for his crimes. Paz says that death would have been justice for his atrocities. And the Armorer, who has just walked in the room, agrees with him. Now, as the Armorer moves to the control console to activate the new forge, she continues telling the Mandalorian that the blood of millions of their kind is on Moff Gideon's hands. But a tiny bit of Mando's newly found idealism shines through when he says, then he will be executed by the New Republic Tribunal. To which the Armorer simply replies... We shall see. With that, she fires up the forge and steps up to a locker marked with the sigil of the mythosaur. Mm-hmm. As she opens the locker, revealing her hammer and tongs, she recites the tale of the mythosaur rising up to herald the new age of Mandalore, and then laments that it only exists in legend. Did you guys catch the uh, the double entendre in that? Heavy. This is the, uh, that
2: that... that three-second scene is exactly what my whole thing at the end is based on
1: the mythosaur only exists in legends
2: uh-huh. uh well no just the idea that <laughs> there's two characters that that rock the mythosaur yeah and yeah yeah uh, yeah we'll get there <laughs> we'll get there
1: obviously uh mandalore who is obviously the uh, i mean what better way to unite the people Uh, And I said that to Andy this week. I said, you know, nothing like pulling a Jake Sully a la Avatar and taming, you know, um, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, A Mokto? Mm. And uh, ruling from the sky. Same thing, right? Same idea. (laughs) Somebody's going to ride a Mythosaur by the end of this thing. I don't care who it is. Someone's Mm. doing it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, But yeah, the whole uh, exists only in legend. And I went, aha, so true. It only exists in Star Wars Legends now. (laughs) for now. Uh. Yes, that's true. That is true. Uh with her tools in hand, the armorer walks over to the forge, and as she does, she says to the Mandalorian, uh, asks the Mandalorian where he got the Beskar spear. He tells her that he got it from a Jedi and that it can deflect a lightsaber. But the armorer is quick to point out that it can also pierce Beskar armor and that its existence puts Mandalorians at risk. She goes on to say that uh, Mandalorian steel is meant for armor. And not for weapons. And without hesitation, Mando hands it over, telling her to forge it into armor.
2: What's your she hammer takes... made of?
1: What's wow. your hammer
2: made of, Mom? That's
1: th- not a weapon. It's, it's a tool. A tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That just also happens to be, mind you, come on, though. I mean, it's in the same. It's, I see her uh, destroy
2: cool. stormtroopers with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So true. Anyway,
1: uh, she takes the spear from him, telling Mando that the darksaber is a more noble weapon for him to wield yeah, than that's places it into the forge. Yeah. Nice to get the, uh, the legacy line here. A more noble weapon.
3: For a more civilized time. Yeah,
1: exactly. Oh, where do we go here? I just lost my place. There we go. Here we go. Uh, as the armorer prepares a quenching bath with some funky liquid that we don't know anything about, but it changed the color of the water. Uh, the Mandalorian asks her if she's ever heard of Bo-Katan Kreeze. The armorer tells him that Bo-Katan is a cautionary tale that she once laid claim to Mandalore based on her bloodline and the power afforded her by possessing the Darksaber. Except the weapon was gifted to her and not won by Creed. And if you want to re-experience that, you're going to need to go back to uh, Star Wars Rebels Season 4, Episode 2, The Heroes of Mandalore, and you can see that play out. Inspecting the glowing tip of the Beskar Spear, the Armorer continues saying that even though Bo-Katan was born of a mighty house, Her family lost sight of the way. Her rule ended in tragedy, and the Mandalorian people lost their planet because of it. She finishes by telling the Mandalorian that had their sect not been cloistered on Concordia, they would not have survived the Great Purge either. Remember back in, uh, what, uh, uh, season two? Season two of the Mandalorian? Mm. We speculated pretty heavy on uh, what did we think the Night of a Thousand Tears might have been. And I think I said, you know, what if they just glass the planet? Or, because even Rebels right. gives us that sort of like, oh, it looks like Scorched Earth. Yeah. And it uh, turns out that's exactly what we got. I mean, we,
2: there's a I just having, I, I rewatched a lot of Rebels. This is, I, I just kept going. Well, it's te-
1: you know. definitely worth. And there's, uh, a, there's a
2: scene in season four when they return to Lothal late in, this, in, in the season. Uh, and uh, this has already happened to Lothal. Uh, yeah, just off mm-hmm. camera. Uh, so you know, uh, like Lethal is suddenly it's a a flattened desert.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah,
2: parched, bleached earth kind of thing looking. That
1: opening uh, shot of season one of Rebels with um, Ezra standing on that uh, tower, and it looked like it was very like plains like, like right, like mid midwestern like right. wheat fields. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Not so much when they went back.
2: No, no, like parched, dried, like a, like a cracked
1: riverbed uh, you know yeah um, yeah yeah very much so yeah so
2: I re-watching that after in the new context of the the uh, empire's sort of willingness and ability to do that sort of thing uh, I think that's what happened to Lothal as well
1: yeah interesting though because rebels right we're talking uh rebels taking place uh before the battle of Yavin Mm -hmm. so if you've got a it tells me that the, the Empire had plans for Mandalore, that they didn't just wheel the Death Star up and single reactor ignition, you right. know what I mean? Like the start right. to, to subdue the planet. They had to have plans for it. And I'm sure that when we go to the living well,
2: <laughs> we'll probably See, find is, out. It might be part of uh, Operation Cinder.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um,
2: or an early version of it. like uh, yeah. pull, Like, you know, how you destroy as you pull back
1: yes yeah, yeah
2: realistically yeah, yeah. you know if everybody remembers like that mandalorians are like the third major player uh in terms of the, factions right like yeah. you know like there's the crime factions and they all kind of amass into one faction yep. if you will but yep. The, yep. W- in terms of like you know uh galactic empire separatist jedi sith the other the other main faction yeah for yeah, ten thousand yeah. years has been the mandalorian
1: mandalorians, yep. culture yep. yeah all right so then we get the uh we finally get it. We get it laid out for us in all of the grim, uh, detail. And, uh, man, it was, uh, I never, I watch a lot of, uh, a lot of war pictures. And so, uh, you know, this kind of stuff is not new to me, but to see it in a star Wars context, is, this is really, this is something we've never seen before with, uh, the camera focus, uh, sorry, the, um, Oh, good lord, yeah. The camera focuses on the bright glow, uh, glowing tip of the spear, and then it fades out to reveal the moon of Concordia shining brightly in the night sky of Mandalore. And suddenly the silhouette of the moon is broken by a TIE bomber flying past, but it's just one of dozens of bombers that are carpet bombing the surface of Mandalore in a campaign of scorched earth. The armorer tells Mando that those who were born on Mandalore strayed away from the path and that the Imperial interlopers had taken over, uh, taken over the planet, destroying everything in the Night of a Thousand Tears. Swarms of bombers descend on the domed capital city of Sundari. Several pinpoints of light erupt on the dome's surface, and then suddenly a massive explosion engulfs the entire city. And there it is. Now we kind of know, you know, the Night of a Thousand Tears is that, you know, is that the thousand tie bombers, a thousand bombs, a thousand, like, is it a metaphor for the number of people that were killed? Like, is it everything? It's all of those things probably Mm. in some, some way. Yeah. Heavy. Um, the, 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 the worst part of that for me was actually, you could
2: barely see them in that scene. And then in the next mop up scene there, the helmets and armor of the fallen Mandalorians are in the foreground and you could kind of see it a little bit in that one. Uh, Suggesting that they used Sabine's weapon right before they did this.
1: Yeah, the weapon that uh, only affected biological material. Right.
2: And now, now add on to this that these, these K2 units that are mopping things up here yeah. are, uh, are actually collecting the Beskar to be turned into uh, ingots.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Very if you're disturbing it,
2: stuff, man. Dark stuff.
1: The, the mop up, I mean, you don't see any bodies, but those KX uh, security droids are definitely shooting at the ground like there were definitely survivors mm. and then they just decided to murder anybody that was
2: left, Yep, Sabine's weapon. If there's anybody there not wearing armor, they'd be fine. If, you yeah. know, d- definitely not fine from the nuclear fallout. Yeah. What, yeah, what yeah. have you. Um, but
1: you know, yeah, the, because the weapon they, they could tune it, right. They could tune it to affect, you know, Beskar or, Durasteel. the steel the yeah. duraplast or whatever the stormtrooper right. armor whatever you want to say the stormtrooper armor is made out of <laughs> right 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 so right they were able to tune it but then Plexiglass. they destroyed but they destroyed Sabine's weapon in rebels so then the empire would have had to have rebuilt it
2: well and they destroyed it twice because she she was sure that she destroyed it and they still yeah.
1: had it yeah yeah this is what i'm saying like i got go to go back and back. watch
2: rogue one to see if if that weapon is is one of the uh, one of the names in the the, uh, names. the database yeah oh, yeah man yeah yeah, yeah. I mean they could track you through hyperspace in before you know, before they yes. could track you through hyperspace, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It, it comes up in uh, comes
1: up in Rebels. In the aftermath, squads of KX series security droids uh with Viper probe droid escorts comb the destruction, executing any survivors that they come across. So evocative of uh Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I skipped I, through every Terminator I, movie to try and find all the future war scenes. And these were the two of the best.
2: Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, uh, cause you hadn't seen the episode yet. I'd messaged Andy, uh, on, uh, on his thing. And I'd said the, uh, <laughs> nice. the K 200 terminators. Yeah. 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 That scene. The,
1: the K, uh, the K 800 or the K one Oh one, depending on. Yeah, your, yeah, your, your yeah. Your yeah. Yeah. Just awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay. As the scene fades back to the Forge, the Armorer concludes her story by telling Mando that only those that walked the Way escaped the curse prophesied in the Creed. And though their numbers are scattered, their adherence to the Way has preserved their legacy for generations until one day they may return to Mandalore. They really really reinforce i mean how many times did they say uh, the way or this is the way in this episode like more times in this episode than any other episode before i mean i think you know almost like they're reinforcing that we talked about it before the religious zealousy of this particular sect and i mean at the end mando is so you know off put that all he can think about is like how do i get back to how do i get back to being one of you well, you know? it's the, the,
2: the, it's brainwashing again. Yeah, she's yeah. rebrainwashing him.
1: That's oh my gosh! She, yeah,
2: she's saying the uh, the words over and over, and and yeah. he's going to be super yeah. susceptible to it because his new life and his new outlook is very new. It's easy to fall into old traps.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, with the uh, the departure of Grogu, um, you know, I I have this sort of sense about him where it's like I don't have my little buddy anymore. And my life was a lot simpler when I was just a straight up bounty hunter. Why don't I just go kind of like Han Solo splitting up with Leia and go, you know, I just went back to what I was good at, right. you know, and here's Mando. Maybe, you know, he's going back to what he was good at, but, you know, maybe for different reasons or maybe similar reasons. There is a loss component to both of
3: them. Do we think there is sinister undertones here for the armor doing that?
1: For trying to bring him back in?
3: Well, not only that, but like taking the spear and let's get rid of that. That could potentially be used against us uh i
1: i think that she is given the i mean if anything if if my time in the military has taught me anything it's that uh, extremism in any form it's it's that like you it's hard to conceive of somebody being so dedicated to something to that degree i believe that she is sincere in her desire to rebuild and so in that sense I believe that she is sincere in the spear cannot exist because it does threaten us. And there are just so few of us left. Okay.
2: My, my, you know? my version of that uh, answer to that question, Andy is yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this. Uh, one of the other things that came up this week, like how much Beskar you think was in that spear? Like a couple of pounds,
3: at least how much at do you least. think is
1: in that little bag that she gave him?
3: Not all a few any- ounces. No, Sure. Sure. <laughs>
1: Now, I mean, he did donate, like, his uh, ingots that he got from the, the client. I got the impression He's, that she
2: just made the whole, like, out of the tip of the spear. Yeah, like, there's still some
1: of it left. Yeah. there's no well, way she, like, because used th- the whole that's, thing. And
2: that, that tracks with the fir- the first episode where the, uh, the uh, majority of it is donated to the effort and then cause and and any leftover can be then forged into something personal. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And so that tracks,
1: but there's something here too. Like there is an undertone here because you know, the, the, we spend so much time on this episode sort of, you know, reinforcing the creed Mm. that she is without like, without hesitation, she's okay with forging stuff for Grogu and she doesn't dissuade him at all about going to see him.
2: No, but she throws it back in his face too. She does throw, uh, or he throws it back in, in her, like, um,
1: the difference between, uh, Jedi's, uh, right. Uh, and so then she says, uh, okay, versus...
2: right. And I think, yeah, I think maybe it's, it's her way of even destabilizing him did uh, maybe like keeping him to making more
1: yeah more uh, more controllable more mm-hmm. malleable mm-hmm. I guess I think so what about what about the notion of like having another you know here we are what uh, uh generations later 10 th- or thousands of years la- a thousand years later because I think right. they said Tar Vizla made the dark saber like a thousand years ago yeah wouldn't it be nice to have a Jedi in your pocket
2: uh and and that's the other thing is that she's like literally they're they're trying to rebuild and
1: they already have another foundling out there yeah Who just happens to be a Force user. Right. That's interesting. Turning back to the present, the Armorer asks Mando what she should forge, and uh, he tells her something for a foundling, but not just for any foundling. He asks her to make something for Grogu. She remarks that he is no longer in his care, but Mando tells her that he wants to see him and make sure that he's safe. The Armorer cautions him that uh, for a Jedi to master the Force... They must do away with all forms of attachment. Confused, Mando remarks that this is the opposite of the creed, that loyalty and solidarity are the way. And without saying a word, she asks him again, what shall I forge for the foundling Grogu? Like, just no hesitation there. Like, yep, Mm -hmm. you dropped him off to become a Jedi, but he's still a foundling, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Heating the metal and then pounding it with her hammer, she shapes the Beskar into rings of mail. And when she's done, she ties her creation into a small pouch, handing it to Mando. All right, what do we think's in the pouch? Mithril.
2: Not not mithril.
1: <laughs> not mithril. No.
2: I I mean, it's probably a chain shirt. That's
1: what I thought a as well. Chain robes.
2: Yeah, yeah. Sure,
1: yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. If uh, Baskar can block a lightsaber, and you're training him to be a Jedi, and there are other Force users out there, maybe it's his way of you know making sure that he's got a higher degree of survivability mm-hmm. perhaps right perhaps. right.
2: plus two we, chain chain is plus two
1: we have so we've already had a, a number of like lord of the rings references i mean ahsoka the gray ahsoka the white and now mm. now grogu's getting that shirt of mithril <laughs> no perfect
2: uh, like you know and this uh i've heard it said this week this could be what saves him from ben solo
1: yeah 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 i I think that there's entirely that possibility. Now, yeah. to get to Ben Solo, can we talk about that for a second? Let's. Where are we at now in sort of the uh, the the clan? Like, how old is Ben Solo at this at this point? Five, five years. Five, five, five years. Five six years. Five after six years old. In? Yep. Yeah. So yep. we're not we're not quite there yet. Are we going to get there? Are um, we going to get to Ben Solo? Uh, ben Ben Solo. Ben uh, Slaughterhouse. I mean uh, Ben Solo. <laughs> killing everybody well they're the they're very spider? they're very vague about
2: the age at which ben does that uh yeah. in the comics yeah, yeah. um there's the, the the knights of ren comic where they he actually he you know he does it and they don't define his age but he, he certainly no. seems like he's a lot younger than when we catch up to him in in uh, the force awakens okay like a lot younger like 15 16 years old sure sure so um we might be 10 years away from that event um yeah yeah but yeah. certainly i think that Han and and you might even see that moment. You you might you might see the moment. Uh, you might see Han hand over Ben to Luke, handing him over. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You might see that moment.
1: I actually thought that you know, given sort of everything that's come up this week, I kind of thought, oh, that's an interesting. You know, uh, we'll just drop this little seed in here, boop, to yeah. uh, let that grow down the road. We should totally de-age uh, Adam Driver as well, <laughs> shrink <Yeah>. him down. <laughs> We want to take another stab at uh, who got Grogu out of the uh, the Jedi Temple. Are we still sticking with our? I know I have my answer. R two D two. I agree with you. R two D two
2: saved Grogu. He hid behind the nubs. <laughs> <That's right.
3: laughs> I think they may come up.
1: I was just gonna say, this is your time now, Andy. Tell the world what's going to happen here, because.
3: Well, I know we're expecting. Well, at the end, you know, he says, "I've got to make a little side trip. Yeah, 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 to yeah, little buddy." It's possible that he's going to go see his little buddy and he will not make it back to help out Boba Fett. That's entirely possible. Yeah.
1: That's entirely possible that he could end up on another adventure saving Grogu from evil Luke. Luke. L- possible.
3: Luke. Luke. Two W's. L W K E. <laughs> All depends on what he finds when he goes to visit. That's right.
1: That's the, uh, that is our original Thrawn trilogy uh, uh, reference that we're going to stick to until something else tells us no. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mount, Mount Tannis oh, okay. wasn't for nothing. No, it was not.
3: <laughs>
1: the camera wipes from left, or sorry, from right to left, and we can see an exterior shot of the habitat ring down in the substrata, the armorer runs through a cadence of movements as she spars with the Mandalorian. Speaking in Mandoa, by the way,
3: mm-hmm.
1: she uses uh, Solus, todd Ein, Solus, todd Ein, Solus, todd Ein, and then Cure, which translate to uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, uh, doing the research for this one, When you go back and you revisit uh, that episode of Rebels, the Trials of the Darksaber, uh, movements one through four are exactly the same as movements one through four between Kanan and Sabine, including the reverse spin. Hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. Okay, the armor deftly blocks each saber strike, and with each successive swing, Mando becomes more clumsy to the point where he actually falls off the catwalk into the void of space. And with that, the Armorer chastises him, you're fighting against the blade. Good thing Use, he had his jetpack. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> using his jetpack to fly back up to the catwalk, Mando's landing is anything but graceful as the weight of the Darksaber pulls him to one knee. The Armorer says it's because he's fighting the blade when he should be fighting his opponent. As she instructs Mando to stand up, and when he does, he can't even lift the tip off the catwalk Dragging it awkwardly instead. With Mando back on his feet, the armorer begins calling out the cadence one more, or once more, and every swing that Mando makes is so ploddingly clumsy and weak that the armorer either deflects it or just avoids it altogether. To add insult to injury, she bonks Mando on top of the uh, his helmet with her hammer, and then holds his head up with her smithing tongs. <laughs> Switching to offense, the armorer pokes Mando in the chest, knocking him off balance. She follows it up with an overhead hammer strike, and Mando is able to get the darksaber up in time to block it. But between the armorer's blow and the weight of the darksaber, he's taken to one knee and has to use his armored gauntlet on the backside of the blade to brace the lightsaber. The two warriors continue their struggle, but this time there is a lesson to be learned, and the armorer imparts some very particular words uh, to Mando.
4: You are fighting against the blade.
1: It gets heavier with each move.
4: That is because you are fighting against the blade. You should be fighting against your opponent. There, feel it. You are too weak to fight the Darksaber. It will win if you fight against it. You cannot control it with your strength.
1: I want to try again.
4: Persistence without insight will lead to the same outcome. Your body is strong, but your mind is distracted.
3: I am focused.
4: The blade says otherwise.
1: There's no way that I could have narrated that as well as her. So you know, I, mm. I take my chances this week with uh, using that amount of dialogue. But uh, I'd, I'd like to see you in that armor, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about because this is probably one of the biggest things that came up over the course of the week uh, since this episode aired was uh, her knowledge of the dark and how it works. Mm-hmm.
3: Pretty extensive.
1: There is some except I mean, yeah. That's. There's no other way to say that. Yeah. Why does she know so much? How does she know so much? Yeah. There's, you guys got I any mean,
3: thoughts on that?
1: There's a couple. I just of a
3: Thought that uh, what she says there is basically a spin on uh, the definition of insanity. Oh, right. Doing the same yeah, thing uh, over and over and getting quote. the same result. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah, you go. I was,
2: yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. Um. I mean, I. I have a light theory. Uh, it's very light. It doesn't have a lot of ground, but there's. Ursa Wren is the, is the right kind of character to, to, to have that knowledge, to be that good at fighting, to be, uh, to want to protect Mandalore, um, especially if she was off world protecting children. Yep. The other thing is though, that we know that it's skewing that idea, you know, I might even have to backtrack right out of the idea, but we know that the idea of the children of the watch. Yep. Uh, a sect of religious zealots that don't remove their helmets.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and I, I'm actually even going to have to roll back on the idea that that was started after the, the purge because yeah. we see Din Djarin recruited in the middle of the clone wars. That's right. And so I think that that religious group under death watch has been around for quite a while as a, as a sort of offshoot. So I'm going to try to sort of backtrack on both those things a little
1: Um, Well, again, we are talking about extremism, right? So, I mean, is this just like, you know, I just, maybe I'm off on this, but I assume that Death Watch to be a relatively small, small segment of the population, but that doesn't mean that within the Death Watch that there weren't, weren't those who were even more extreme than they were. No, certainly, certainly. I feel like where the Darksaber is concerned and how it relates to the armor, I mean, we understand that the armor is more than just a smith that she is both at the same time. She is lore keeper Mm -hmm. and spiritual advisor or spiritual leader. So I mean, she's, she's all of those things. So I suppose on some level, it it makes sense that she would have some knowledge, at least historical knowledge of, of it.
2: Yeah. I would say that coming from a warrior culture, that's like, I don't know if there's any equivalent on earth, but, like all warriors would have been taught this specific, I mean, the, the, yeah. their whole culture yeah, revolves yeah. around basically worshiping the sword. Yeah. Uh In, yeah, yeah. you know, in, in some form or, or, fashion. And I think you would probably born on the world. You'd grow up with these stories. So they, I mean, they yeah, yeah, probably course, intimate, like, you know, I, I bet you the, the story of Tar, Taz or Tarvis. Well, I was going to say, is I mean, a child, if... it's a child story. Like you, you would hear that as a child. You would read if... that in books and,
1: if Tar Vizsla is the only, the only Jedi ever from Mandalore, I mean that guy's got to be right. legendary. Whether right. you, you know, whether you're, uh, uh, um, whether you're a, a Mandalorian pacifist or whether you're, you know, lean more towards uh, guys right. like Gar Saxon and and uh, and Pre Vizsla who are more militant.
2: We we know that at some point in, in, in the past, the, the Mandalorians let a, let a strike on the Jedi Temple to recover yeah, 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 the yeah, Darksaber. Yeah.
1: yeah, yes, they did. That's Sparta. Right. Sparta. Yeah, and I mean, there, again, that's, you know, that warrior culture, that definitely, uh, you know, there are, um, and even in the, the helmet design is obviously, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Spartan helmet design shines through in, in uh, Mandalorian stuff. And that was Doug... Thank you, Doug, for that comment. Doug, you've got to go to uh, StreamYard on Facebook and give them permission to uh, to show your name. Otherwise, we just keep talking uh, about you like you're this ambiguous gray chathead. That's uh, unless, of course, you don't want us to know it's you, and then that's fine. That's D no, Doug. That's D Doug. Okay. That's well, thank D-Doug. you. <laughs> thank you for that, Doug. Stay with us. We've got lots more to talk about, um, particularly going back to uh, the explanation. Now, her explanation is like I said, it's consistent with the lore keeper/slash spiritual leader, but it's lacking the one the one big thing. Uh, and we get another explanation of, of this weapon uh back in Rebels, back in uh what season season three, episode uh 14, Trials of the Darksaber. And here's what Kanan has to say to Sabine Wren. So when you when you think about what the armor has just said, and then you hear what Kanan says. Uh, Take a listen to what's similar, but at the same time, what's missing. Ignite the blade.
4: It's heavier than I thought.
1: Energy constantly flows through the crystal. You're not fighting with a simple blade as much as you are directing a current of power. Your thoughts, your actions, they become energy. They flow through the crystal as well and become a part of the blade.
0: The blade feels lighter.
1: You're connecting with it. It's becoming a part of you. So, <laughs> wow. Um there's a whole lot going on there. Maybe I just took it for granted, but like did that just add a new layer of context to every lightsaber ever made or does that just apply to the dark saber?
2: Uh, a say. couple things. I always took that scene right there to mean that Sabine Wren was Force sensitive. Um so I, okay
1: yeah
2: sure and uh the other thing is that george lucas always meant them to be wheel, weld, wielded wielded yeah the right word there welded wielded wielded, wielded. <laughs> uh like like heavy broadswords. yeah like yeah, two-handed yeah. like they were supposed to be slow and heavy and gotcha uh, gotcha the idea that vader could wield one with one hand was a testament to his his might oh
1: yeah yeah that totally makes sense uh and it it, it, it
2: you know Realizing that the, the Kung Fu style fighting was much more uh appealing Oh, the prequel era. Yeah, the yeah, The prequel yeah. era stuff definitely took over. And uh, of course we love it. But uh, he, yeah. his, his original vision was these just these giant, giant, heavy, broadsword things that you had to use two hands to swing. And uh, I, Those two st- sets of statements are like the uh, flip sides of the same coin. you know. Yeah, they uh, are, they are. They both like, you know, one is sort of like more like, straight warrior and the other one is more like it has that jedi like the 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 uh the warrior force right absolutely
1: and there therein lies the biggest difference the armorer uh is completely you know ignorant to any of the of the idea the of the force the idea that the crystal has been uh has been imbued um and that's the big difference is she's lacking that knowledge so one one, unequivocally, that tells us that for anybody who was hoping, if you were hoping, the armor is not force sensitive.
2: See, now you say that, but then I, what weirds me out about that, and if there's any, it's, I tend to agree with you, but if there's, yeah. there's any little thing that makes me lean slightly the other way, it's, yep. it's when he first falls down that set of stairs and she doesn't look at him. Right, but she right, she goes, right, tend right. to him. And then she doesn't look at him and she goes, what caused that wound?
1: Yeah, and then she doesn't that. look
2: at him, but she goes, bring me that weapon and knows yeah, what it bring it to it is instantly me. without mm. looking at him. There's well, three okay, things. So, I mean, I can't argue with that. That's she's true. She sort of goes, oh, that was a little weird. That That she is sort of, true. Yeah.
1: But look at look at when she picks it up. When she picks it up. And I don't know if I have a shot of that one. She picks she, it up. She almost drops it, it. She's she, having a hard time heavy. lifting yeah, 100%, it. Yeah. So, I mean, 100%. that is, to me, that's indicative of she's not really. Yeah. in the know well and
2: then let's let's go back and watch uh like uh car saxon in in the in the same episodes and rebels we're talking about yeah. I mean, he wields it one-handed like it's like a feather.
1: yeah like it's nothing so okay but they're, so, they're does,
2: in... so does moff gideon at the start of the fight with din Djarin, yes, but it yes, does get yes, laborious yes. for him as he loses sort of control with it so i think some of it is flight time
1: i think whether you the...
2: realize you're connecting with the energy yeah and the yeah force, of course it's just flight time. You're getting used to the blade. You're getting used to you know, your weapon in the military. You got used to it. Yeah, yeah you, you would. Know, you, get, you get used to your kit. It, gets, uh, I think it becomes yours. Ab-
1: absolutely. I think yeah. there, is a, there is an element of that. But then again, I don't want to overthink it. But <laughs>
2: I, I, That's not what we do here. <laughs> no, we don't do that at all.
1: I don't want to overthink it, but I do want to remind everybody, like all the way back to 77, the force binds us. It Mm -hmm. flows through everything, everything. And we take for granted that things like luck, as Han Solo would say, in my experience, as Obi-Wan would say, in my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Right. But Obi-Wan who has that deep, that a force user, or sorry, I guess I shouldn't say force user, a Jedi would have the deeper understanding of the force. Not only does the Jedi, the force wielder influence it, but the force also influences you. Right, hence, hence, Canaan can say what he said to Sabine that your thoughts, your actions translate into energy, and that is just every living thing's connection to the force, whether they are able to control it or not. Right, and I think that that speaks to the idea of the the warrior knowing one's self, mm. making the uh, the the dark saber an extension of the warrior, but without all the metaf- with having all the metaphysical, without understanding all the metaphysical.
2: It's a, it's a lot like watching uh, Conan learn to, to swing a sword yes. in the original Conan the Barbarian.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. The way of steel, the riddle of steel. Right, <laughs> right. So the one other thing I want to say about this going forward is because when he leaves at the end, I'm convinced he's going to go and visit his little buddy, but I'm also convinced that Din uh Din Jarn is gonna get a similar lesson from Luke Skywalker that Sabine got from Kanan. And that will, you know, help him better connect with it. Hmm. That's just my thoughts on that. I know we can't oh we we have to be very careful how we use Luke Skywalker in the context of this show because we already had the big like moment with him. We don't wanna we don't wanna throw legacy characters around and and just sort of like willy-nilly them, but it's an important lesson, and who better to, to teach it I mean I suppose Ahsoka could fill that role but True. if we're going to go and visit Grogu with Luke Skywalker assuming that it's Luke and not Luke <laughs> I think he's going to get that lesson so <laughs> the next part is um, <laughs> as the armor imparts her lesson Paz Vizsla steps out onto the catwalk proclaiming that maybe the darksaber belongs in someone else's hands he continues, saying that it was forged by his ancestor who founded House Visla. But Mando retorts, and now it belongs to me. Not even remotely trying to hide his intent, Paz says, uh, or questions, because you won it in combat? And when Mando says, that's right, he answers with, and now I will win it from you. The Armorer turns to Mando and uh, asks him if he agrees to the duel, and when he accepts, she leaves the two men alone on the catwalk. Din Djarin versus Paz Vizla, Round one. Fight. Both men remove their jetpacks and square off. Din Djarin draws the lights at the Darksaber, while Paz Vizla pulls a vibroblade and activates an energy buckler. As the two men come, to, uh, come together and clash, Mando's first strike with the Darksaber glances off Vizla's shield. At the same time, Paz makes a thrust with his knife and it catches on the lip of Mando's pauldron. Even though Paz is the bigger man, he's not encumbered by the Darksaber and deftly uses his buckler to bat the Darksaber aside and follows it up with a backhand to Mando's head. Okay, I'm going to stop here for a second because we talked about this way, way back and I am so happy, I am so happy that they finally addressed this. Where did all the energy shields go? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently they're still around. Oh, yeah.
3: Just not as utilized.
1: No, apparently not. But I really love the, the translation of this from animation into live action. It just looks, it looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, The fact that he's using it here in an unarmed uh, fight where typically we saw them in animation used against blasters. Uh, but it, it makes so much more sense to use it this way. I I'm quite happy to see that come back.
3: Deflecting of energy.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Round two. Mando comes back with a downward chop, and for a moment, the Darksaber locks with the energy shield. To break the lock, Paz unleashes a mighty uppercut, sending Din reeling. But Din is able to get the Darksaber up and braced against his gauntlet. Enough so that when Paz tries another stab with his vibro knife, the blade is broken when it contacts the lightsaber, and he's left holding nothing but a glowing nub. Round three. (laughs) This time, it's Vizla who's reeling as Mando drops uh, a sharp elbow to the face. But it's a quick recovery, and Paz grabs for the Darksaber, and the two men wrestle for control of the blade. Paz overpowers Mando, forcing the blade into the catwalk with a shower of sparks. But Mando isn't done yet, and uh, throws a quick headbutt just before he turns his back to Paz and follows that up with yet another elbow strike, finally breaking the bigger man's hold on the Darksaber. Round four. Free of Paz Vizsla's grip, Mando swings the Darksaber in an upward arc, striking the big man's chest armor, but it doesn't cut through. Paz ducks a follow-up haymaker of a horizontal swing, but is forced to use both of his armored gauntlets uh, and drops to his knees to block a mighty chop. But he's right back up on his feet again and overpowers Mando for a second time, this time throwing Mando completely off the catwalk to a lower platform below. Landing hard on his side, Mando loses his grip and drops the dark saber, and the blade collapses just as Paz Vizsla jumps down to continue the fight.
3: I love round that visual.
1: Five. Oh my god, the leaping down.
3: Well, not just that, but like the saber, like le- literally physically destroying. Where oh yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. From
1: the, uh, the glowing floor that yeah. it's the Oof. heat of the blade, the transference into the metal. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. it's it's really well done. Uh, where were we again?
3: We're at round five.
1: Round. Five. Thank you announcer. Mando, uh, Mando can't even get to his feet as Paz tosses him into the support structure that he just landed on, knocking him back flat for a second time. Now with his opportunity laid bare, he picks up his ancestor's lightsaber and activates it. Taking in the majesty of the weapon, he says, Fate has brought this blade back to my clan, and now fate will end yours. But the blade weighs heavy in his hands. And as he swings the dark saber wildly, Mando is able to scurry away. While Paz struggles to control the dark saber, Mando draws his own vibroknife and is able to stab Paz in his side just below the ribs. Instinctively, Vizsla swings hard in Mando's direction, but he ducks the blade and rolls to one side. Round 6. Staying on the assault, Paz makes another horizontal strike, this time catching the blade in the support column where it gets lodged. With a pause and the momentum, Mando gets back to his feet, but Paz is unwilling to let go of the Darksaber, and he grabs his opponent one-handed by the face, slamming him back into the column for a third time. Mando, on his face once again, gets back to his knees, but Paz has now freed the Darksaber and swings wildly again. Dropping prone under the blade, Mando is showered in sparks. But that's enough of a distraction to allow him to duck behind the big man, making a flurry of cuts to his leg and behind his knee. Paz turns to face him and draws back for a devastating chop, but the movement is long and telegraphed, and that's all Mando needs to get around behind him and force his knife up under the chin guard of the heavy infantrymen. Din Jared wins. <laughs> oh, I know it's goofy, but I had so much fun making those. <laughs> all right. So suddenly the armorer who has been watching this whole time shouts, it's done. And just like the last time that these two men had quarreled, she asks each of them if they've ever removed or have had their helmets removed. Paz answers no to both. But when pressed, Din tells the truth, revealing that he has. At which the armor declares him a Mandalorian no more. Taken back by the revelation, Din asks her how he can atone. Paz Vizsla, who on top of his physical wounds now seems morally wounded, at the knowledge that not only did he not win his ancestor's lightsaber, he just lost to an apostate. But the armorer tells him that according to the creed, he can only find redemption in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore. Mm -hmm. When Mando says that the mines have been destroyed, she simply nods at him and says, this is the way.
2: Lady Retrie- of the lake, her arm clad in the finest shimmering Samite.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Retrieving the Darksaber under the watchful eye of Paz Vizsla, Mando ascends back to the catwalk. He pauses to grab his jetpack and then makes his way past the armorer, who stands stoic, shunning him while he leaves the covert. Uh, so, on the way out of the covert, anybody get the impression that uh, maybe there was a little bit of implied sorrow a little bit that she didn't want to cast him out but she had to yeah
2: i it's it's weird that she didn't ask for the armor back is it is it yeah not the, weird? the thing that, is that, not that weird? she just made yeah 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 i oh, mean i it, mean his armor
1: oh his his armor Yeah.
2: why wouldn't you why uh, would you let him walk out with his armor
1: you know you make a good point i mean Ooh. well you know what I, i'll tell you this it, it's in there it's in the exposition how can i atone He's on an atonement quest. So, I mean, does he get to keep it for the the attempt at the atonement? When do they decide that, hey, he hasn't shown up in time. Uh, I guess he's not coming back. Do we hunt him down and take it back from him? A la la, uh, Mando denying Boba Fett his armor?
2: Are we we, uh, pretty certain that there's a mythosaur in those waters?
1: Well, this is it. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so, I mean, besides that it's a super convenient way to get us, the viewers, to Mandalore, which we've mm-hmm. been, we've been like, I don't know about you I don't guys. think you'll
2: get that story next week either. No, I think that, no, no. That's going to be the bigger season three deal. I mean,
1: yeah. I've been chomping ever since like Rebels, like we've got to get back to Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And now the setup, we've just got this amazing setup for it. And I mean, ultimately I think that's what this episode does. It, it, it serves to uh, set up future seasons of The Mandalorian. I am super super excited to be going there. But again, as you say, is the living, uh, uh the was it the live the living waters the living waters uh, is maybe not a metaphor. Maybe there's right. there's stuff down there.
2: See, and what know? is it? What is it? He wants he, uh, absolution, forgiveness. He
1: wants to atone. Atonement. So
2: atonement, this is what's yeah. going to happen there. Uh, it's just part of my theory about the bigger picture. But he's going to find atonement there, but not the kind of atonement. That she was speaking. That of,
1: she thinks yeah, something yeah, else, yeah, yeah. something
2: more personal to him.
1: Uh, well, you know what? I, we're here now, so let's let's keep that conversation going because I agree with you. I think we've we've sort of juggled this idea of you know uh, somebody is going to write a mythosaur, somebody mm-hmm. is going to be uh, is going to take the mantle of Mandalore, and whoever mm-hmm. that person is, whether it's Dinjarn or Boba Fett or somebody else, mm-hmm. they are going to rewrite. The creed, or they are going to recontextualize what it means to be Certainly. a Mandalorian. Certainly, unite the people, you know, in that kind of sense. And I guess that's that's what my big
2: theory is: is that uh, I think that you'll you'll see the armor rise to. The the idea that she thinks she's the one, the mythosaur that the, the
1: yeah, she would like it to be
2: right, and I think that she will <laughs> she will challenge Jarn for the the dark and I think she will beat him in combat, not kill him, but beat him in combat. And then I think at some point in you know, and I let's hope that this goes on for ten years because I'd love to do yeah, this for yeah, ten years. Yeah, me too. Me too. But I think then you'll see that Boba Fett will defeat yeah. the armor in combat, winning the dark saber. And that and Boba Fett Mandalore. will be the Mandalore, that and that way we, be we can leave him someplace super cool, yep. and maybe yep. just go and visit the throne room once every while, once every two sure, seasons sure. or something.
0: Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah.
2: leave him in a place of, of honor and mystery and wonder right. like that that character deserves, and then we move on and we tell the stories of his vassals.
1: Well, look, look what we said, uh, we were talking about it last, uh, last episode was that, you know, Fennec Shan doing all this heavy lifting mm. is really, you know, she, who better poised to take over, uh, the, the empire that he's building on Tatooine. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I think he's, he's
2: feeling a sense of purpose and it's this new, the rebirth for, with the Tuscans is giving him the sense of purpose, but yeah, I think he's yeah, misinterpreting yeah. it because she even says, uh, or actually she doesn't say it. it's a it's a meme <laughs> and it's funny because I, I i nearly you know how they get inserted <laughs> into your brain but in yes, a meme yes. somebody had had written so uh what, what's next for you and he says well i'm gonna get my ship and i'm gonna get my armor and then i'm gonna pay a couple of people to visit and she's like oh you're not gonna go back to mandalore and become ruler yeah. of the yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so and i think that's he's mis- misunderstanding his purpose and that yes um He's already, he's been the mythosaur before we knew what a mythosaur was. Right? Yeah, like that, absolutely. That, has. That's been on his that, shoulders since, there, yeah, since 1980. Course. Right from the beginning. Right and if right anybody's going to ride that sucker and wield that saber and rule yep. Mandalore, mark yeah, yeah, my yeah. words,
1: it's Boba Fett. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I totally, I'm on board with that. He likes riding beasts. I will say this, the, uh, going back to what I said before about this atonement thing, about how, like, you know, he's, he's lost his little buddy. And we know like there's all that character development the 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 lone wolf and cub uh, analogy mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. that we had with that character over two seasons, or sorry a a full season because we only met grogu at the end of season one, but right. um, all of that character development that we got through season two would be completely undone, and I believe that it would be unjust to the character if he were to atone in the sense that the armorer has Mm. set him up for and go to me it's a step backwards if he's going to go fully back into the the religious the culty the cultism of of children of the watch i don't
2: think you'll see him fall back into it as much as you'll have to really work hard to fight that brainwashing
1: yeah let's it,
2: it is a cult and so he's gotta yeah he's gotta break more chains
3: yeah i agree with you on that but the seed is planted thanks to Bo-Katan when she said, you know, there is another way. She did
1: say that too. Yeah, there is another way. And I mean, she even asked him to come uh, to, she asked him to come with her uh, because that's her thing is to, to Just go and liberate Mandalore. Yep. Well, there yeah. you go. And that's
2: a, that's another, the, like how casual Boba Fett is like Mandalore is not my fight. And that's anybody yep. who says that with that level of it, it 100% it is his fight. You, mean, you know what that? I mean? It's like, he's in denial
1: what was yeah. the uh, what was his words the Fennec Shand, you know uh, can only get so far without a tribe
2: right yep. and this is right? the big tribe this is the right. this is the one right yeah that's right
1: all right well that's it for me uh, that's my half of the episode so uh, <laughs> i'm going to turn it over to andy but the conversation will continue here in a second while we kind of uh, well you know i'm just going to hand that over to you andy and we'll okay. just we'll chat amongst ourselves here for a second um i cannot wait to see how they uh, you can close my notes if you want i don't need them open anymore Fair enough, um, and then you just got yours there for you. I am interested to see how the uh, the uh, as it pertains back to uh, to Boba Fett is the um, who's going to show up for the uh, the uh, the war, the war with the Pikes. Well,
2: you know? IBDM says one person might be showing up.
1: We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later, because I think that... Okay. do you put a slide in for that? We do.
2: That's the last Beautiful. slide we got for today. Sure. Yeah.
1: Save it for our, our after show, a little chitty-chatty, I guess. Yep. I'm sure, gonna, sure. While you
2: keep loading that stuff up, I'm just going to step to the loo, fellas.
1: Yep. Go for Skip it.
2: Skip to the loo, my darling. Yep. Be right back.
1: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there, we've got two two episodes left um, where we're basically waiting for this uh, war with the bikes to erupt.
3: And, Yeah they're they're building their side absolutely so, you know boba fett has to build his side
1: if the pikes are just landing troops now do we think that the pikes are going to use hired muscle as well or do they just have a big enough organization that they've got everything they need
3: uh i think they might turn to some hired muscle like yes they're going they're bringing in troops by the droves
1: yeah, yeah yeah but
3: why not have more
1: what's interesting though uh from the episode is uh we had talked about, uh, do we think that whatever's happening on Tatooine will be large enough to attract the attention of the, the nascent New Republic? I think so. And they've already got two dudes in orbit.
3: Yep. <laughs> yeah. So... I uh, thought on that, based on what is said coming up here, it's quite possible that people are going to come out of the woodwork to join this fight against them. Maybe. Yeah. I'm, I'm basing that on what, uh, Motto says here shortly. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, if that is the general consensus of everybody on Tatooine, right. You know, it could lead to something.
1: Well, I, I don't know what, we're, what, uh, we're in for. I know that, uh, we said it before, uh, in our previous episode about how, you know, there's this real sort of like fan clamor for, uh, more bounty hunters, more, uh, yeah at least those who survived anyway i mean we not we know that we're not going to get the aura singh uh, cameo that you know some people talk about cuz oh she's dead at this point um but we we do know that dengar uh survived right up and into the rise of skywalker so so there's somebody out there conceivably he's still out there kind of doing his
3: thing technically if he's got uh you know favors left to call in well bosk uh
1: was in prison uh with Boba. So, I mean, presumably they I mean, they obviously have a connection because <laughs> because Bosk was just one of the people that uh that um that helped uh, essentially train him uh, in the wake of losing his father. Mm. But that was I uh, I don't know, Hank, do you remember the the other bounty hunters? It was Aura Singh, Bosk and the other guy that hung out hmm. with uh, young Boba. He kind sort of looked of,
2: like a trained ocean but bigger. I can't recall yeah, his name.
1: I can't remember his name either. Uh It's the guy that was uh with her when she told the boss to fire up slave one.
2: Yeah. 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 I can't remember his name. He looks like a trend ocean though.
1: Similar to bigger, more beefier. Right, right, right. We're just talking about, uh, you know, with only two episodes left to uh, conclude this, uh, or at least kick off this war with the, the pikes Mm. with the, the discussion was, do we think that the pikes are going to use hired muscle as well? Or are they a big enough organization that they've got everything they need?
2: So, mm. yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't know a lot. We, I, we assume that they hired the Nikto bikers to, to do their little
1: yeah, tax yeah, yeah.
2: collecting uh, extortion stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, these organizations, like think, think, think Marvel comic villains. They yeah. they always have yeah. the, the thug level uh, goons group. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Right.
3: Ariane, <laughs> right, Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. So, let's, uh, let's keep it
1: rolling then. Yeah. Drop it.
3: So uh, as Din Djarin makes his way through the tunnels and pathways of Ringworld, uh, we see a Starliner come in and dock as day shifts to night again. Yeah. And this particular Starliner is the same model that we saw the Pikes disembarking from back in Chapter 3. Yeah,
1: sure looks like it.
3: And it bears similar markings to ships from the Separatist fleet, but it could also be a nod to the uh, the ship oh, from the, Star Tours, the star, Tours. To star Speeder 300, right. which was also decked in uh, blue. The blue stripes, yeah.
1: I yeah. thought the blue stripe and I did, you'd pointed it out uh, and you can see it there that the blue striping was there in
3: last, uh, the last episode. too. Yeah. You can just see the hints of it.
1: Never like, even dawned on me top. that it was there, but you, I don't know. You, uh, later on, I'm sure you probably got a shot of it, but I just got, it was so evocative when he's zipping over the top of it, that it yeah. was like, Oh, it's like Anakin when he's buzzing around the, uh, the, the Luker Hulk, the yeah. trade Federation battleship. And I thought, Oh wow. They've, they've added separatist markings here to, to, for that callback. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, didn't you come up with the the notion that it's a
3: like an airline or something? It is actually. Uh, it is a commercial Starline, as it will be yeah, yeah, shown yeah. here. Okay. Um, but uh, as Mando approaches the uh, the spaceport, we hear an announcement that flight 1020, nonstop to Tatooine, is boarding at gate one.
4: <laughs> and
3: uh, upon approaching the gate, he sets off an alarm. Can't and, imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> And he's quickly called over by a service droid, and he's told that he must remove all weapons before boarding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this model of droid, this is nothing new. We've seen him a variety of times. It's an RX model. Yep, yep. And uh, this one made its debut back in 1987 as the pilot of the Disney Star Tours attraction. Yes. Originally yep. voiced by Pee Wee Herman.
1: Yes, I just, I just saw that the other day, that it was uh, Paul Rubens. You had mentioned about that... Uh, um, uh, On Disney Plus, that yeah, series uh, uh, behind, behind the, the attraction. attraction. Yeah. Uh,
3: and they've got a whole episode dedicated to the Star Wars and
1: Star, Star Tours. Tours and Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that uh, that Nikto in the scene, is he like airport security? Like, did you get I almost got the feeling like, is that guy going to try to pickpocket Mando? I don't
0: know. <laughs> like
1: the way that he was looking him up and down and how close he got to him?
3: Well, maybe it's just because he's never seen a Mandalorian up close. <laughs> maybe. But maybe. Uh, you know the droid's been modified a bunch of times over the years for different tasks, from everything from pilot to security to DJ.
1: DJ at uh, at the at the galaxy the sanctuary. Yeah, the droid sanctuary.
3: <laughs> so, back to the moment here, the R S droid uh, or R X droid tells him that he can't board this commercial flight with his weapons, and right. uh, knowing that this is a starliner and it's part of a commercial fleet, so. At this point, you know, it's completely plausible to think that this could be the Star Wars equivalent of, you know, Air Canada or yeah, United yeah, yeah. Airlines. Yeah. But uh, Mando, he defiantly replies, no, these are part of my religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the droid tells him, well, I can ask my supervisor and I'll gladly book you on a flight for tomorrow. But rather than wait, you know, he just takes his ticket and starts to disarm.
1: I was waiting for the droid to tell him to take his shoes off. <laughs> <laughs>
3: he wouldn't pass the metal detector. <laughs> no, but uh, he he begins dropping his weapons in this case: and blaster, whistling birds, grapple line, assorted explosives, a vibro blade, and eventually the dark saber. But he puts that one down kind of hesitantly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did anybody else have the uh, sinking feeling like, oh my god, this crate's going to be gone at the other end?
2: Yeah, I thought they, they crossed my spent mind for a minute. Enough time on this to make that a possibility. It was just I for comedy.
1: Some serious. I love the comedy aspect yeah, of it, yeah. but I was like, "Oh my god!" Especially after thinking that Nick, though, is really eyeing him up. Like, is he going to like hijack the the flight or steal the crate?
3: Hmm. Tough call. But uh, uh, the the other vibe I was getting here is like more of a police academy vibe. Oh, there's uh, that too. Yeah, where yeah. you know Tackle is uh, yeah. <laughs> just unloading gun after gun after gun.
1: <laughs> Tackle <laughs> Like
3: <laughs> Dinjarad here, he's pulling them from everywhere—boots and uh, bandoliers—and oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know he gets his stuff unloaded and removes his luggage ticket, and he boards the ship.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And uh, Hank, you pointed this one out. We see a familiar style choice from one of the boarding passengers.
1: Nice. Oh yeah,
3: uh, and he's sporting some maybe Empire surplus gear. There's the, another uh, one too, the Range uh, Trooper.
2: One of the guns that he puts in the case is a is a the the holdout pistol from the, uh, biker scout.
3: Okay. Uh, oh, Returned
1: the, the small, the little snub nose. Yeah.
3: yeah. Nice.
1: You got to wonder, I mean, is that just like, is that surplus that jacket? Is he uh, a former trooper? Is he, or yeah. Or is he a former? No, that's troop? what that's I was speculating. Question. He's yeah. either
2: very, he's either a fashion rebel or former,
1: former, uh, uh, empire maybe. Again though, Say you know in the in a similar line of questioning as what is it with amphibians and and water based creatures living on Tatooine? Why does a guy need to wear a parka going to the desert? <laughs>
2: I have a theory. I actually oh, have another theory. Uh, okay, tell a me. a lot about of it. theories tonight. Nice, uh, nice. How about this? Uh, we we see Luke the, the first time we see anybody uh, on yeah. Tatooine. He's wearing a long sleeve shirt. He's That's covered true. basically head to toe, and yes. even in the uncut. Uh, in the deleted scenes, he's wearing a great big hat. Oh, floppy the big hat, the bucket hat. In the sun. Yeah. And then all the people, we don't, we don't see anybody running around in, in uh, Speedos. We don't see everybody. Is is, I mean, sure, I'm, uh, on Earth, most people are covered head to toe in the desert because you're going to burn yeah. to death. But yeah. 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 What, what you do, you see, is a lot of people wearing heavy, dense layers of heavy fabric, like a lot of heavy layered fabric. And my yeah. theory is, although it's a desert world, Tatooine's
1: actually cold. It would so I'll say this when I was overseas uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, now, we showed up in August and the daytime highs. Now, keep in mind, this is in Celsius. The daytime highs in August were like in the 40s, right? But, but come September, October, when the daytime highs are you know 20, 23, 25 degrees, but the nighttime lows are five. That's a right. 20 degree drop. And so you, you do feel cold at night, mm-hmm. even though the like I say, the daytime highs are, are comfortable like t-shirt mm-hmm. weather. Hate,
2: it's, so it's since cold we cold. know that it wasn't the, the suns that made Tatooine a desert world, we know that it yeah. used to be, it wasn't any, fir- yeah. right. I, my proposal is that those suns are far enough away for this actually to be a cold world. Although
1: it's a desert. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean the tundra is considered a desert too. Right. So. Right.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, on the uh, ship, you know, we're en route to Tatooine. Yeah. And a Rodian child, played by Arden Voiles, stares over the seat and waves at Mando. And, you know, so uh, waving
1: over the seat. Evocative, though.
3: Yeah. But uh, Mando, he doesn't wave back. And instead, he pulls out the bundle that he got from the armorer. And, uh, you know, his thoughts are squarely on Grogu. And it's no... No surprise, like the bundle. Well, even resembles his little head.
1: It it, even when the armor handed it to him, it's like, oh, she's tied it up with big ears, and it looks like a little round head. And it's like, oh, okay, we gotta, we gotta keep you, we gotta keep tugging at the heartstrings here. That's right. That's right. uh, Which, by the way, was very successful. Totally was. (laughs) Now, Star Wars is real for you.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been in this fight since I was six.
0: <laughs> Wicked,
3: but upon arrival on Tatooine, Mando disembarks and finds yet another RX model droid with the luggage cart, and he gets his stuff back pretty quick. But uh, we do see on the luggage, oh, yeah, container, yeah, yeah. we nice. have basically a logo because it matches the same the logo. striping,
1: uh. It's almost matches the striping pattern on the top of the ship.
3: A little bit. But uh, the, uh, the logo does match the logo on the luggage ticket. Yep. And mm-hmm. we do find out it's Starliner Travel. Nice. That's cool. So, uh, and the only Oribesh on there just reads tag. Tag. Okay. So I, I don't know what the other represent unless it's a real twisted up version of the basic numbers. Uh, like uh, the dots and the, yeah. the
1: oh, I don't know the
3: dots and lines, but they don't match any configuration that I have seen. No, but uh, yeah, we now have our travel company. Yeah, so uh, we switch to Hangar Three Dash Five, and uh, we find a little two-legged droid. Did carrying-
1: anybody? Okay, and I know Andy, you have you've not played it. I have not played it. Hank, did you jump out of your seat? Oh yeah, I yes. ju- mm-hmm. I was like. No effing way! I
2: thought we were gonna get more than this, but it, this was yeah. plenty. But I thought we were actually gonna get another cameo
3: here. But yeah, no, so did
2: I. Definitely.
3: Well, we got one more comment here too. Uh, no weapons allowed, but bring the jet. <laughs> but back. bring a jet. Right. right, right, right.
1: <laughs> well, where's he gonna fly? can yeah, fly really. off the
3: ship. But uh, we get this little two-legged droid peering out from around, and uh, it's only to be snatched up by a womp Rat. So you guys, you know, you noticed Jedi Fallen Order. The BD
1: series droid, uh, affectionately referred to as uh, Buddy in uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Calacestis is a uh, little uh, uh, companion, as it were. Uh, he's almost like, I don't want to call him. He's like a MacGuffin, but uh, like he's literally, he's the jackknife of droids. I mean, uh, he's a scout. He's your zip line. Like he's all kinds of stuff in that game. And he's just awesome. Super. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, instantly instantly in my top uh top three favorite classifications of star wars droids
3: nice yep but uh, he's in trouble now and uh, a blaster bolt just misses the womp rat and Pelimoto comes into screen sporting a Jawa-style blunderbuss, <laughs> uh, and uh, we get a great visual of Pelly and her droids as she barks at the Treadwell droid to move the engine block so she can get a clear shot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get returning members of her droid faction, including the three Dumb Series pit droids. Yes, uh, the Astromech r 5 r R5D4, who debuted in A New Hope, w- and F- the Wed 15 Treadwell droid. Yes but uh, it would appear that our droids aren't exactly brave because each of them is basically refusing to go in the area with the womp rat and it leaves <laughs> Pelly to advance on her own.
1: What does that tell you about their experiences with womp Yeah,
3: you know, <laughs> And technically they made the right call because uh, after thinking it's all clear, you know, Ellie's back there. She doesn't see it, but she gets pulled down pretty the quick. The look
1: on her face is
3: priceless. Yeah. It's got me! Yep. <laughs> and, you know, she's struggling to reach that blunderbuss and it plays out like a typical horror movie scene where she's about to be dragged off and be the latest victim in the shadows.
1: Have you guys heard there? I've heard some uh, sort of other fan comments on this character that people are uh, are calling her the Ripley of the, of the show, like the Ellen Ripley, and I'm like, the, I mean, maybe in look alone, but her hair. Well, there you go. But the characterization of this char- not even
3: close. No, she she's way more down to earth, more
1: mind you, if the womp rat is supposed to be a, you know, if we equate the womp rat in this scene to a xenomorph,
3: there maybe. Could, maybe there's
1: an alien connection. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> uh
3: there's one other thing to point out here, too. Uh is Pelly Horden Gronk droids? Because, uh well <laughs> stack uh, them in the certainly back. Certainly looks like a pile of them against the wall.
1: We talked about this earlier and and I had I wrote written it off as being like just a stack of crates, but you know what looking now that seeing that stack of droids there, uh, the picture of droids uh, you, you may in fact be right.
3: Cause <laughs> we know she does have at least one of them wandering around and fully functioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Considering You're, what else the she's one got she charges the, place, the ship
2: with later is a giant. Well, the, There sure. you go. Right. It's like yeah. a, one I've never seen before, for sure.
3: Yeah. It's not a stretch to think that maybe she's stockpiling droids as well.
1: I mean, you know, if if power is an issue, and I mean, you know, walking generators are sort of the the the, the solution for that, and you're running a shop, maybe you'd need that many.
3: That's possible. But uh, back to our situation at hand, Pelly's about to become Womp Rat food, and she's saved out of nowhere by a blaster bolt that bullseyes the Womp Rat, courtesy of the Mandalorian. And Pelly cries out, what an entrance! yeah and then calls to see if is okay who limps out yeah i was gonna say who's limping yeah
2: just like his first when we first meet bd in the yes he's injured he's limping (laughs) as well
4: yeah
3: yeah you go yeah sweet but uh with the rat dead you know pelly calls out to the droids hey look everyone it's mando yeah and the droids they don't really care they (laughs) They all just go off in different directions yeah we're out of here yeah and then when Peli asked, you know, well, to what do we owe the pleasure? He replies, you know, I got your message. But quizzically, she's like, what message? And then uh, he states, well, you said that uh, you would found a replacement ship for me. And instantly she's like, oh, yeah, 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 that's it. But
1: uh, I actually thought she was feeding him a line at that point. Like, how did you forget that you sent him a message?
3: Or did somebody else send a message on her behalf? luring him here i thought there was something more to
2: it than that but now i I think it's kind of like uh she's just scatterbrained
3: yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. she's
2: a little bit nutty professor
3: yeah but uh she goes on and she's like instantly did you bring the cash and he hands over a bag full of payment and she jokingly asks should i count it Not because she doesn't trust him, but to make sure that he didn't pay her too much. And then she just tosses it off to a droid and says, here, count Count that. And tells another one to go put that womp rat on the the grill before it gets too gamey. (laughs) Too gamey. So, you know, no wasted motion. And uh, when your food tries to eat you. Exactly. (laughs) She then inquires as to, you know, where's Grogu? And Mando states, I returned him to his kind. But she bursts out, why the hell would you do that? Going on to state that you know she could have made good money off him by opening a petting zoo, <laughs> uh-huh.
1: you know, I, that's kind of no a meta way. joke, right? Isn't that yeah, a meta yeah, yeah. joke? I would say so, yeah. I mean, the the amount of, I mean, she basically mothered him, yeah, in the 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 uh, the gunfighter when she was babysitting him, but just
2: like uh, the way he became the entire real world's baby for like a year yeah. and a half, yeah, there, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 like. <laughs> Uh, suddenly plush plush toys everywhere you look
1: that's right yeah uh, it was Stilf.
2: like the 70s with star wars again and so i think maybe that's a meta joke with like referencing that like like it's the Gro- cutest thing you guys have ever done why would you do grogu became the
1: uh grogu became the cabbage patch kids of uh, yep. 2021 right right <laughs> babu frick who <laughs> hey, hey!
3: <laughs> i love babu frick oh me too but uh, as they move across the bay mando inquires as to the whereabouts of this ship and Peli leads him into a shadowy storage area and she pulls off a dusty tarp to the replacement ship and uh unimpressed mando asks where's the razor crest but she retorts i never said i had a razor crest just a replacement for one and she goes on to tell him that she got a uh, n1 starfighter you know commissioned by the queen of deboo for the yeah oil yeah guard. yeah and uh, mando <clears> insists you know it's a pile of junk and she's like you want your money back and he's like yes yeah it doesn't even miss doesn't
1: skip a beat yes
3: yeah and she's like no problem and tells the droid to go get his money but while they're waiting she goes into full sell mode and uh you know it doesn't look like much but she insists that she's got all the parts and it's only because he got there way too soon that it's not put not together. put
1: back together. Yeah, yeah, sure it is. So All that right.
2: leak was true. Do we remember where we got that? Yeah.
1: Leak? So I don't remember the 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 source. I did hear about it on uh, Shadow to uh, Star Wars Meg. Star I Wars hear, Meg. She I think she a, got it from, from Best
2: and Bulletin, actually.
1: Maybe.
2: Yeah, that's where I think she maybe. got it from.
1: Uh, I wasn't initially sold on the idea. I mm. really wasn't. And then no I
2: th- I thought about you as soon as, I, as she pulled the tarp off. I went And oh. then
1: and then what we got uh I, I'm going to be completely honest it really won me over by the end of the episode. Right and
2: you know and it begs the question how many severed heads can you fit in an N1 starfighter?
1: Well there you go but I mean I didn't <laughs> even think about that so much. She says, you know, what happened to the droid the droid socket? I hogged it out. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. I mean She's making it from it's uh, a it's the, a backstage. the uh, the
2: first the first uh clip uh that we put up on, uh, YouTube. Yeah. Of the, uh, not the Did we not show even between. talk
3: about that? No. Turning the you droid nailed this on head. You were like, yeah.
2: I'll be okay with it. If it turns out to be a co- uh, rear seat for Grogu. Yeah. Yeah. Like you literally, before we even saw this thing, you're like, I hope yep. they hollow out the droid thing and make it a rear seat for Go- Grogu. And yeah, I was, like, yeah. when I heard you say that after having watched the episode, I was like, all right, you just <laughs> smashed that one
1: right <laughs> out of the park. Yeah. Hey, when we get them, we really get them.
3: Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it doesn't help her cause when she's showing it off and she finds a nest of uh, scurriers in the ship. Oh, yeah. And she just continues on with the cell asking, you know how hard it is to get original parts from way back in the Galactic Republic? <laughs> and she continues telling him, you know, it's going to make some modifications and it's going to be faster than a fathier. Nice. And we met them on. Uh,
1: it's a second uh, fathier reference. Uh, that's a uh, Canto Bight. uh, uh, Canto yeah. uh yeah. The Last
3: Jedi. Yeah. In the casino city,
1: we could just call them uh, Star Wars horses, I guess. Yeah, which are less horsey than the actual horses I thought, they used. You know, there's the a lot of people complain about the out. Last Jedi.
2: I'm not one of those guys, but I thought nope. it
3: was a dropped opportunity uh,
2: to not have Tauntaun races. Oh my
1: gosh, yes, that would have been yeah, just yeah, cool. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: but this goes back to like these things. They were first mentioned in the Chuck Wendig novel Aftermath, it's true. right? Yeah, it's true. So uh, you know, they got the roots
1: the uh i do like the thing and it doesn't need a hyperspace ring yeah i did like that
3: yeah Mm -hmm. and she lays it on about the extra benefits too like it's pre M prior so it's off the grid Uh, and like you say no docking ring and we've seen these rings before back in uh first appearing back in episode two that's right yeah but uh she pleads with mando you know give me a chance to put it together before you decide and without him even answering she's like yep okay starts working and uh then she's like, you know, it'll go a lot faster if you
2: help. <laughs> just notice like the- uh Quill says to him in season one.
1: Do you notice the disparity in the size of the wrench that she hands him versus the one that she's twisting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's here, a few scenes here where
2: she's nowhere to be seen.
1: Yeah, he's just, montage, doing it all she's himself. just doing it, and
2: he's no she's nowhere to be seen. Yeah.
1: But you know what though? That makes sense because. Ships in Star Wars, they they really have become characters in their own right. And what better way to establish the longevity or the importance of the ship th- than to have
3: him put his the, heart and soul into it? The
1: guy who's like, basically, you told me you had a razor crest. No, no, I told you I had a replacement for it. He makes this big uh, personal investment into putting in the work. And now it's like, oh, OK. And it makes it, I think, easier for us as the viewing audience to accept it because he's so warmed up to it
3: yeah yeah but uh we get a great montage going on here and we catch up with them later and we see parts
1: montage everywhere
3: again. <laughs> and you know mando's under the ship trying to get it together and bd won't focus his light quite right but uh Peli returns with a turbonic venturi power assimilator
1: yeah, Wicked. she she shows up with a, a 454, uh 454 four barrel carb
3: basically. <laughs> and uh when Mando questions, you know, where did it come from? She tells him it's brand new, or at least Jawa new. And at this point, Mando he questions how they had something from a galactic era starfighter, but Pelly says Tatooine is a garden of many bounties. Nubian, we got lots of that.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so uh, you know, she just gives him a list of parts and uh they go and find what they can, and she doesn't ask. They don't tell, and in exchange, she lets them pick through the dumpster. <laughs>
1: through the dumpster. Oh.
3: So Mando, he's like, you know, would they meet me? And uh, she says, sure, they might still be here. And she hollers at R five, and they're still out back. And uh, as they wait, Pelly casually tells Mando that she dated a Jawa for a while, and they're quite furry. Quite a for
4: a while. They're quite furry. There you go. Quite furry. Issues. Oh, here they are.
3: If I give them a list of parts, could they get them for me?
4: They said, make a wish list, and they'll see what's available.
1: Amazing that she actually speaks.
3: Yeah, she's fluent in Jawa. Speaks
1: Jawa.
2: That's great. That's yeah. really, really funny. <laughs> and you get to see the fur around their hands. Oh my Did god! You? Yeah, it was almost
1: time. like. More it was like, a, uh, I was going to say it was old-timey gorilla suit.
3: Yeah. <laughs> right. Because normally they're seen in gloves. Gloves, so. yeah. Uh, and this is yeah. one of
2: my, this is uh, what led to my theory that Tatooine is a cold place.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah
2: Things yeah, covered so. head to toe in fur are also wrapped in cloaks.
1: Hey, one of our two indigenous species is covered in fur.
2: Yeah. yeah and, the, and both yeah, yeah.
1: wrap head to toe to protect
2: yeah. themselves yeah. from what we thought might have been a dry, hot, arid desert. Maybe it's a cold.
1: I wonder if we'll get, get a... I Wonder, I don't think we have one yet. If we're going to get a canonical explanation for the uh change of eye color off world, I know that there's like they're supposed to be crystals or something to protect their eyes from the suns.
3: Oh, maybe, yeah,
1: but why are they a different color off world? it
3: hmm. could be just the angle you're viewing them at,
2: maybe just so they could sell an action figure. If you ask uh, me. that, you know what, there,
3: there, you there you go, yeah, yeah, I have three, everyone of them. gets one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mando goes on to tell him, you know, I want mostly bolt on aftermarket speed mods. Yeah, yeah. And he also posits that they will need to be vintage hyperware if it's going to fit. But Pelly says, don't worry about the size and shape, just get what you want and we'll make it work. And then uh, the Jawa asks for what I can only assume is a date because Pelly <laughs> tells him, no, I'm working on myself right now.
1: Oh, I love that.
3: <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Jawas take their leave. You got to wonder, for, like,
1: did, do they know, like, do they know each other? They might. Maybe she's already been on a
3: date with that guy. It could be. <laughs> Who knows? And they just needed to see other people for a while. <laughs> but uh, we're treated to this montage again. And uh, we get Peli and Motto and uh, Mando. They're assembling, fixing, and restoring the Starfighter to working condition. And the droids are even helping. And they're offering up parts and pieces. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We also find that there's way more scurriers living in this thing. And... uh yeah. Yeah, like they're in the... Like they're front, everywhere. They're in the console, they're in the engines. And, uh, you know, the montage pace breaks for a minute to when Pelly tells Mando more of the tweaks that she's going to make. Yeah, yeah. And even though some of it's concerning, you know, she's got an answer for everything. And we also learn that she's never been off planet.
1: Yeah, which she, she says, I'm, uh, I'm a local, local gal, gal. Yeah, but,
3: yeah, yeah. And uh, at this point, though, we do get a clear sign of the ship's possible serial number alongside the uh, the cockpit there.
1: Yeah, that was a big stumper this week, eh?
3: A little Futhark. bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah It's yeah. the Futhark font, and these aren't new. They were present all on the ship's back in the Phantom Menace. Yep. yep. Mm. Uh, but uh, sometimes they would appear backwards or forwards, depending sure, on sure. the shot or yep. possible right. continuity errors. Oh, possibly. Because, like, this shot here of the one side of Anakin's it's pictured both ways.
1: Oh yeah, I guess so. so. Right.
3: I mean, if I, yeah, it's anything,
1: I was it was a mirrored image. Yeah. If it's anything like, like, uh, like the, a pilot's name on a fighter, it would be written. It would be oriented left to right so that the reader right. would always be reading it left to right. So I don't know. Yeah. But this, it seems more like
2: it's not, I mean, it's, it is just gibberish. So it, it could yeah, be like yeah. uh, less of a call sign and more like serial number, like, uh, you know, maybe KPJ X four seven, you know, something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'd even, you know, what, what was the one I tossed out? You know, maybe it's more like, uh, you know, a fighter, a squadron number, you know, uh, air wing number. Yeah, right. Five. Who knows? Right. I don't know.
2: Of the three that I could find, all three are very different, and they all three are, are basically gibberish. But I did yeah. learn something about Futhark, which is the, the royal version of the Naboo language, the written version. Yeah. And there is a more casual, uh, oh. uh, I think called Futhoth which is oh, the handwritten of uh, sort of peasant version. Uh, and it also appears in Attack of the Clones.
3: Really? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. But, uh, you know, as the ship nears completion, Mando inspects his finished work and uh, Pelly's still in full cell mode. You know, she asks Mando, do you know how lucky you are that we got this?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah.
3: But he's quick to point out you know, if you find a razor crest, you can have it right back. (laughs) (laughs) Ellie, she protests Bantha diddle. These are a lot harder to come by. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the montage continues and we get, uh, the ship coming together really well. And soon the Jawas they return, uh, Oh yeah. With, uh, a cryogenic density combustion booster.
2: Awesome. This made me so happy. Yep.
3: And, uh, Mando, he's like, uh, you know pretty taken aback at the speed for which they got it, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Pelly mentions, you know, these critters could find a scud in a krill pond,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And this could be just another one of her colorful phrases, like you know, a skank in the scud pie, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, the only scud I could come up with was one of Jabba's henchmen who first appeared in the Marvel star Wars comic in issue 28. Oh, awesome. interesting. But, uh, he was also killed in the same issue in a blaster fight with oh. Han solo and Chewie. So, <laughs> but uh, the oh, other
1: there thing. you go. That tells you that the skank and the scud fight is the loser.
3: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, the other thing to note here, this isn't the first time we've seen that particular. Oh style my gosh. No. And I think we have Lauren to thank for this one, dude.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it was, it was fairly, uh, I saw it. and I'm like, is that the thing that they, the, the brace?
3: Yeah back in yeah. New Hope where Han, Luke, and yeah, Leia yeah, used yeah, the yeah. larger version to stop the walls from closing in during the trash compactor scene. Fantastic. And I,
1: I I had said uh, earlier in the week when uh, you'd sent that over, Hank, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I guess that they're recontextualizing that to be a, a Starship part. Right. Yeah. But it, what's cool, though, is that, because Pelly, she said about the, uh, uh, about making his list, she said uh, something to the effect of, don't worry about uh, the size or the spec just make out a list of what you want and, and she's, we'll, make it, we'll make it fit. Yeah. Right. Uh, I thought that was super cool.
3: Yeah. But back to the here and now, you know, Mando questions how they managed to find this part. And Pelly asked, Do you really want to know? And he's like, yeah, sure. And again, she's speaking the Jawaese and finds yeah. out that the Jawas liberated it from a Pike spice runner while they were refueling. <laughs> and uh, we also find out that the Pike's reach is starting to affect the whole system. Oh, yes. Ellie's stating that since they started moving Spice here, everything's gone to hell. Mm-hmm. So that line there kind of makes me think maybe if Boba is rising up against the Pikes, a maybe. lot of people will join in on principle.
1: I mean, if the if the Pikes are taking more of a, a an active role in the, the running or the administering of the planet and they're not just, you know, content to run Spice out in the desert.
3: Yeah. Yeah and stuff like this could technically upset them, right? You know, if the locals start scamming (laughs) parts off their ships. But,
1: uh... Well, we know the Jawas are a lot more... uh, uh, What was it now? They're they're a lot more... uh, We knew them to be mischievous, but now we know that they're a lot more... uh, 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 What's the word I used before? Crafty? I I, I wouldn't be surprised that the Jawas don't get involved because something that affects the entire planet affects everybody. You know, Mm. know, and they were really... uh, they had no trouble uh, 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 uh,
3: stripping down the but stroking Boba <laughs> that too. No, it's true. Just to get his armor.
1: Yeah. yeah. What's a little uh, liberating of parts.
3: That's right. <laughs> but the next morning we get our first on-screen appearance of the sand bat <sighs> uh, native to Tatooine. The That's our second appearance. Is it our second? I mm. am.
1: So the, the, the episode with the, where, uh,
3: yes, where it flies in and. It was at up.
1: night, and I'm like, I'm sure it's a sand bat. But when you when you throw that up against, and I wish I still had the image from uh, our other our other episode. Throw that up against the uh, the version of that from the old Republic game, and the head with the 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 little dragon like crests on the back of it. I am 99 yeah. sure that that's a sand. Looks bat. like
3: Lockheed from X Men. Yes, it's a little bit. Yeah, I do find it funny though that they crow at sunrise just like roosters. Yeah, that's wicked. yeah. But, uh,
1: well, that's just it though. Like the screech from that thing at night. I'm like, it's a bird, but then it's, no, it's got leathery wings. Yeah. Oh
3: yeah. Wikipedia lists. This as the first on screen, but it could just be like the first clear on screen, I guess.
1: Wow. Right. I mean, let's, we have to be I mean, really, let's be realistic. Now we can edit we, Wikipedia. We can edit Wikipedia. So there, there is that. And again, I'm not, I don't, <laughs> you know what? I am going to toot our own horn because <laughs> when, there is not a show out there that i'm aware of that goes this deep for this long into each episode and so you know what maybe we're not first but we are the most thorough
3: there you comprehensive go comprehensive as hell yeah 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 oh no. but uh where are we here back at peli place the three pit droids they roll out the now complete modified n1 starfighter and uh Mando asks about the droid socket and she says, Sure, I hogged it out because of your disposition. Yes. Yes and uh R5 curses him in droid and Pelly. She's like, Don't talk
1: like that to the customer. So just stick stick on that image for a second there, because in that image, we can actually we get a really clear view of the cockpit and the hogged out droid socket, but she's installed a complete third engine. Yep. Uh, underneath that so that really gives us a very very clear indication of exactly how big that backseat is and there's no way that a, a a two meter tall humanoid is fitting in that no, no. it's
3: for one person yeah yeah or heads yeah
1: <laughs> or i can bring you in colds yeah
3: <laughs> but uh this one, uh, Facebook user Jessica pointed out in the Star Wars fan base group. Oh yeah, that the inspection sequence here is really reminiscent of the scene from The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio.
1: Oh, very nice.
3: And uh, very nice. Yeah, good on there. Nice grab. But uh, Mando, he questions if she's ready, and Pelly's like, "Start her up." So he jumps in the cockpit and hits the ignition, but it sputters out. And we hear something akin to the hyperdrive failing noise. Yeah, yeah. The pew, pew, that pew, we've pew. heard from the Falcon, but. Uh,
1: I should have had that as a sound
3: bite. I, I missed that one for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Pelly says, try it again and give us more juice, which he does, and she roars to life.
1: We've got this great sort of mm. uh, uh, combination of sounds that are evocative of, like, when they start up the at the pod race. Yo, yeah. That, like, heavy, large large block V8 engine startup with no exhaust kind of yep that roaring rumble it was very very visceral, visceral.
3: and yeah. like even the even the control panel here is like almost a throwback to the pod racer yeah with the yeah, like yeah. the flipping of the switches and the little ignition button and,
1: oh yes yeah yeah
3: but uh you know he asks her should we be performing some diagnostics on this and she's like no no i can hear it i it's can good. hear it it's purring it's purring
1: remember when fennec shan said there are some good mechanics in moss isley I That's who that she's talking about, right? Point. As much yeah. as she is sort of a comic relief character, she really is a good mechanic. She knows her stuff. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, Might uh, be
2: a little why they got rid of Quill because they're essentially the same character. Um, yeah, different different angle for the same. You know, you don't need two mechanics. Um, no. And he was he had that you know that Wizened sort of uh, father figure thing on top of it. So this is a, this is perfect. Uh, she's a great great character. I love the. Yep. the uh, the more i guess even if she was an alien the more human characters the like the more like uh personable everyday characters they, they yeah uh, knocks much, me yeah. off my
1: socks in this yeah me too
3: yeah so uh you know she looks up all excited at you know oh look it's flying so i don't know if she's like i don't think she's like impressed that it actually worked it's just There's a,
1: there's a a certain, there's some cockiness there. Like, like I knew it was going to (laughs) work.
3: I knew the whole time,
1: but But then, you uh, know, behind the scenes, there's (laughs) that
3: dodged a bullet there. uh, Yeah. Mando, he sets out over the city and you can hear the engine roaring and folks are taking notice.
1: Yeah. When he's like, uh, okay, I'll open it up.
3: Yeah. And he says, you know, it's a bit shaky, but uh, she tells him, you know, you're used to flying a gunship. This is a starfighter and it should be flown like one. Yeah. So he really opens up and heads out of the city. And Din cries out, Dank, Ferrick, she's fast. Mm-hmm. And when Pelly asks, you know, is it smooth? He replies, As a gonk scomp jack.
1: Wicked. So a gonk scomp jack. Rep- uh, now, that's a new term. It's a, it's a combination of things because in Legends, we would have referred to that as a scomp link. But I
3: suppose the, the That's jack, the, would jack. Be the, the port that the lake yeah. goes into. Yeah.
1: There we go. Okay, so. Right. Wicked. I love that.
3: So uh, looking to test its maneuverability, Pelly says, you know, aim between the two suns and it'll take you towards Beggar's Canyon. And we've heard of Beggar's Canyon before. You know, Luke uh, used to a bullseye womp there prior to A New Hope.
1: This <laughs> particular sequence, uh, I mean...
3: Big, big-time
1: nostalgia beats uh, yeah. back to the pod race, which I absolutely love, by the way. Yeah. There's, um, a, there's a crazy
2: detail. They go by the ramp here. And yes. Was, I don't know if you guys notice it. I I mean, I, I tried to pause it so many times. The the entrance to the ramp is still broken from where Anakin breaks it. They still have it. The, uh, yes. the,
1: the, the, the barrier is broken there.
2: The barrier is broken from where Anakin went through it 35 years you before this.
1: Go back and re-watch the pod race, and it's like, are people now – because That looks like a settlement, yeah. like people are living in the, in the canyon the now. Canyon.
2: That or people have set up like uh, you know, like uh, booths to
1: watch the race. Oh, that's entirely possible, right. you know, too. Like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. my uh, my 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 box, my private box,
3: right? Right, right. <laughs> but uh, Wes, you and I were talking about you know the distance between Mos Mose- yeah, Yes, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and how you know how would the pod race actually run like that. And I got looking into it. And to put the distance in perspective, the pod racers were traveling at speeds of around 947 kilometers per hour Ooh, mm-hmm. or 588 miles per hour. Okay. Right. And the total distance between Mos Espa and Mos Eisley is only 136.1 kilometers or 84.6 miles. So we can safely assume that Mando is traveling at least that fast, if not faster. <laughs> I Obviously, think we're quoting
1: faster, yeah. I know it's it's very minor, but I think we're actually quoting a different number than what we quoted before. Did we? I think the the Bantha ride. I said it was like 146 or something. Hmm. Anyway, it's uh, but it's very close.
3: Yeah, I was looking up uh, the bon Yves Classic. So.
1: Oh well, there you go. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm. I know the the reference I used. I for found the, a map, uh, but it was
2: so blurry. I sent it to you guys. It was so blurry. The, the racetrack race.
1: map? Yeah, yeah, terrible. I couldn't yeah. find a good one either. I know. I know.
3: But uh, they were saying that you know they they measured out the distance and determined how long it would take to do so many laps in eight minutes yeah sure and i think it was 15 laps <laughs> or e- either 15 laps in eight minutes or eight laps in 15 minutes. well
1: i mean he's literally moving i mean this is not speed or speed and i mean pod racers oh, are no. not speed or speed either so uh to me it's it, that he's moving as fast as a as a pod racer
3: at least yeah yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he's not even at full speed yet. Or here. pod racers move as fast as a starfighter?
2: No, in my <laughs> head, there's no way that's the case. Like off no. the line, this this starfighter just cr- any starfighter creams a, a pod.
1: Oh, of course, a of pod course. is a drag is, racer
2: yeah. on the ground kind of action, yeah, and yeah, this yeah. is even even the top speedsters on the ground now. Just when you put them up against f F-22 Raptor, <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? Yeah, a, yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: But uh, he remarks that the handling is tight, and she tracks like a rail speeder. Yeah, and, and the first time we saw a rail speeder on screen was back in the Clone Wars season six, episode nine. Oh, really? So, there is an on screen version of those. Uh, I didn't get a photo though because the one provided is really dark. Oh, it was okay, it's very dark. Uh, but as Mando rounds, Ben, you know, we do see that there are settlements or you know, VIP boxes now in, yeah, that yeah, canyon. yeah, and uh, as he continues around. We get a womp rat sunning himself and he's <laughs> startled awake by the passing craft. Look at the mange
1: on that thing. Yeah. It's great. I think does not look like it's in good health.
3: <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure the, uh, the descriptive audio calls it flea bitten. Oh
1: yeah. Okay. There you go.
3: <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's looking to push the limits and he pulls back on the yoke and flies the craft skyward and leaving the atmosphere. He's out pretty quick and he, cruises by a departing Starliner vessel. Yeah, yeah. And aboard, we find the same Rodian kid from earlier taking notice and looking out the window.
1: Does that mean that the non-stop to Tatooine, that Tatooine was the, the fuel stop for somewhere else for the future leg of that trip?
3: I don't think so. I think he was here for quite a few days. It's pretty
1: popular. Oh, that's possible, you don't too. You yeah, do the ship yeah, yeah. overnight. Something <coughs> oh, I'd no, like to right, see them right. adopt is the uh,
2: uh, when they do the Rodian characters that uh, from Rebels and uh, Clone Wars, yep, they have the, yep. that Starfield look to their eyes.
1: Yes, I do.
2: I
3: like that as well.
2: Yeah, I'd like to see
1: that in live action. Uh,
3: We get a little bit. He's got some glinting going on there, but Mm. uh, you know, this time, Mando, he does give him a nod before speeding off.
1: Yeah, like there's this recognition
3: of a little Top Gun uh,
1: homage there.
3: Very much so, yeah. But uh, he buzzes the starliner aiming back towards Tatooine and he barrel rolls a few times, only to have caught the attention of uh, two passing (laughs) X-wings. And, uh, Oops! Yeah, oops. <laughs> an alert goes off in the cockpit and uh we get another dank ferric Yeah, yeah yeah mm-hmm. because this one is the equivalent basically of a traffic stop as one of the x-wings uh asks mando to run his beacon but uh he plays it off and says you know was i doing something wrong officer never had
1: that so one before wicked <laughs> gonna have to uh send us a ping
3: yeah but it turns <laughs> out he was you're not allowed to fly that close to a commercial ship and he's off operating also without a beacon, so again, we get confirmation yes, Starliner tours is yeah yeah, yeah commercial property
1: commercial traffic, yeah
3: yeah but uh, not man, unlike his
1: previous traffic stop.
3: yeah <laughs> but, uh, he apologizes and transmits his signal, and the X-wing pilot's quick to point out, you know your engine model doesn't match the power drive, but he tells you what him, are you, you know, talking about? We just built it and I haven't been able to update the registration yet. <laughs> And uh, next, you know, they want to see Mando's title tabs, which I guess maybe your license. (laughs) But uh, he tells him. I guess so, yeah. Ownership, title. Yeah, ownership, ownership. for sure. Ownership. But uh, he tells him, you know, the transmitter's not hooked up yet, but I'll head right back to Malsizely and get it done. I'll sort that out right away. uh, We don't get his name here, but it is listed in the credits. Lieutenant Reed, played by Max Mm Lloyd-Jones. He doesn't buy it, and he wants to remote access Mando's ship. And do, you, uh, do we
1: know, you know who that is, right?
3: Lieutenant Reed? Yeah. I do not. He's, He's the,
1: the body double for yeah. Luke Skywalker.
3: No kidding. Yeah. 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 Well, there we go. He's there. our
1: body double from the end of season uh, season two. That's okay. the, yeah. the guy they
2: thought they are going to put Plo, Plo Koon's head on. Yes.
3: Yeah, that's Plo Koon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, before that, the second pilot chimes in and uh, says, you know, I think we can let him off with a warning. And it turns out the second pilot is, you know, Captain Carson Tava played by returning actor, Paul Sun hang Lee. Welcome back. And, uh, you know, he asks Mando, did you fly a razor crest or used to? That's and he's like, I recognize you... your voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mando, yeah. yeah, He's like, you must have the wrong guy. And, uh, captain Tava, he's like, you know, there was a razor crest that showed up in the logs on Navarro in an incident with the Imperial remnant. And we're just trying to connect some dots.
1: Just trying to connect mm-hmm. some dots here care to answer and, some questions
3: yeah <laughs> but uh before responding mando hits that uh, kinesio switch and he speeds off into the darkness of space and left alone above the planet the lieutenant asks you know should we report this and captain tava he's like do you want to go back to the base and fill out paperwork all day all day i didn't even yeah, see yeah. him
2: fire up the hyperdrive those were <laughs> yeah. sublight engines yeah he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we can't help you know. with that guy we're leaving that's that's a great scene yeah so good
3: but, uh, and there we do get the buzzing across the ship on this one. Yes. So yeah. They coming the coming over the,
1: the hull of the, the Starliner.
3: Yeah. But, uh,
1: it's really noticeable because he passes over the, uh, the, the large radar dish. And when you see that, I'm like, oh, that's so like Anakin when he was whipping around the, the lucre hull because it's covered in radar dishes.
2: Yeah. Spinning's a good trick.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, try
1: that. Let's try that.
3: So, uh, they continue on their patrol and, uh, we re we rejoin Mando as he's coming in for a landing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, as he lands, Pelly she asks, you know, how was it? And he slyly re, ah, slyly replies, "Wizard, wizard." And uh, that's not the first time we've heard that phrase. <laughs> that's so wizardy. Yeah, back when Kitster <laughs> told Anakin it was cool.
1: But, uh, where's uh, Kitster now? I don't know. You think he's gonna make? He's gonna show up? Uh, I mean, could, in a show that is there. so self-referential, and I mean, so much love the has got to be an old
2: man, right? Kister would be so, an old yeah. man now.
3: Yeah, he's running the shop now instead of uh, Watto. Hopefully <laughs> he, really... he got a
2: slave trade, man. I would hope so.
3: Yep. But uh Pelly goes on to tell him, you know, an old friend was here looking for you. But she told him that she hadn't seen him and then got rid of her and engaged the hangar security system. And Mando, he asks, did you get a name? But before she can respond, uh Fennec replies, it was me. Yeah perched up on a little uh, spot inside the hangar and she jumps down and uh you know pelly starts muttering you know about i thought we had the security hooked up and <laughs> but uh fennec she goes on and asks mandor are you looking for work yeah and she tosses him a sack of coins and he says i you love know, his
2: response to that question here actually yeah. it's just straight out of western mike could be
3: Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's a great line. I just, I, I, there's so many little nods to westerns throughout this stuff. But that line, yeah, for oh sure my gosh, might, yes, yeah might, yeah, might, might, could be.
3: <laughs> yeah. Then he asks, "Who's the bounty?" And Fennec responds, "No bounty. We need muscle." And then he asks, "You know, is it Boba Fett who needs help?" Yeah,
1: very intuitive.
3: Yeah, and she replies, "You know, he sure would appreciate it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he throws the payment back at her and says, "You know what? It's on the house." Solomon, it's on the house. But first, I gotta go pay a visit to a little friend. Mm-hmm. and um, <sighs> we cut to black and we know who that little friend is going to be
1: so there you go uh um, frick with <laughs> hey, hey every time you say babu frick you know i'm gonna do it so we do go. we yeah. do we think
3: that is gonna go with him
1: no or is she gonna yeah. go
3: right back to both she's
1: going back to report saying helps on the way but
3: yeah she doesn't fit in that seat
1: again uh two episodes uh, left two episodes left we've just locked up uh, the Mandalorian himself, Dinjaran, as an ally
3: to the coming war with the Pikes. Yep. Mm-hmm. depending on what he finds when he finds his little buddy.
1: I don't think we're going to see the conclusion of this war.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we
1: have enough screen time for that. I mean, otherwise, we're back to the the time jumping plot or narrative device, which
2: may might or may just not be not the work. one big fight know. in the last episode.
1: All no, fight, you know what? Really, Maybe. You know. Maybe, I Obviously. mean, uh, Hoth was just, you know, one part of a movie, so.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Meant to be a big battle. Bo- both, so, yeah. both, both, uh, Death Star
1: fights were 20 minutes just, or less.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's entirely possible that we get a big, you know, and then maybe to illustrate that for Tatooine, that the it's big stakes for Tatooine and maybe the first sort of, uh, idea that Boba can be a ruler, yep. but that that's not galactically big. So no, we really? might have, uh, some people in the desert whacking each other with sticks and it'll be dramatic and fun, but it's, yep. it's yep. probably not like, uh, like, you know, I, I could see where we're going to get a big space battle eventually in something here. I like think we're going to Mandalore and we're going to war for the fate of Mandalore, uh, long-term. I can see something really big coming
1: down the pipe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree.
3: But for now,
1: last week we talked about the trope, uh, the star Wars trope of, of, uh, three environments. Mm. And I said, are we ever going to get off Tatooine? And this week we did.
3: <laughs> yep. But it brought us right back. I know. It. And
1: then we came right back.
3: <laughs> no, only a slight departure.
1: Uh, oh, two, ep- two episodes left. There's still a lot of storytelling to, to get done. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, are we going to spend a lot of time? Are we going to get, I mean, Mando's coming back for the war. So do you think that the next episode or in the, the final episode, we're going to get the, uh, the, the, the check-in, like, hey, how are you doing? Are we gonna get
3: that, mm. or is
1: that gonna be an off-camera thing?
3: I think it'll be off-camera.
1: You do, eh? Yeah. I,
3: I you know, I, I, or a post-credit. I kind
2: of get the sense oh, that yeah. you know, to avoid the a little confusion, I think you might find, uh, and it won't take long. It's certainly not the entire episode, but you might find that uh, Din goes to find Grogu, and Grogu and Luke aren't home. That's Maybe. entirely possible and, as well. I think yeah, somebody yeah. else might be home and Andy. We wanna, yeah. We, we, throw we've, that got, up? we've got a thing for that. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Yeah, be, I don't know
2: uh, if something. I, I don't know if I, uh, if I broke this or not, but I quite frequently go on ID, IMDB, IMDB and, yeah, and look yeah. for things. And I found a little something this morning.
3: Yeah. yeah. You broke it for us.
1: You know, you sent it out this morning. Uh, I don't know what time you sent that over. Um, but after that. I had seen it come up in a couple of different Star Wars groups, and I'm like, well, I mean, that's a, we're a few hours ahead of that, so good for us.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. A, uh, Harrison Ford's IMDb now holds a credit mm-hmm. for one episode of The Book of Boba Fett.
1: Interesting that they, that, they are, that that has snuck out, as I, I'm going to say that, because how much uh, the pain that they went through to conceal yeah,
2: it to right. Mark
1: Hamill. Yeah,
2: yeah. and so it's it was still the, up. It's not like it got leaked and took down or anything. It's no, still up.
1: No, um, is this an intentional misdirect? Is this a I mean, <laughs> yeah, IMDb? IMDb does have uh, an air of like, well, it's not infallible, right?
4: So, and this could
2: be not, and like you say, misdirect by by making it could be. Yes, he's there, but so innocuous. Yep. Like the idea, yeah, yeah. like if you're going to have Han Solo in a Boba Fett thing, there's like a. Those, do, you know, do,
3: uh, do we get another moment like with Black Chrysanthem where he's like, you know, no hard feelings? Well, maybe, like the, um, maybe.
2: yeah you ever seen that uh, Mr. Bean uh, sketch where he plays the devil and he says, uh, oh, oh, the Nazis and the and the French, you you guys have something to talk about, both <laughs> yeah, of you over here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't think you could do five minutes of Boba Fett reuniting with Han Solo without there being something, something significant there. And I don't mean like a fist fight or even a blaster duel. I mean, some sort of recognition you know, like a conversation that you've always dreamt of like yep. you know some yep. like and and so i think if he does show and it was just a job not mate. misdirect i think it might be <laughs> he's the guy that's there when when din goes to find absolutely grogu, grogu and luke yeah, are yeah. there instead Han Solo and maybe a young ben solo
1: you know i mean uh, i was trying to trying to sort of figure out like at what point did the relationship fall apart and when did Han Solo duck out and go back to smuggling?
2: Yeah. I got another one, too. I got a fresh one for you, too. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Daniels. Yes. Uh, has uh, uh, leaked, photos of leaked of Anthony Daniels in a mocap suit. And he's gone oh. on Instagram and said, yes, that's me. I'm in a mocap suit. And I am returning to the role and of I'm C3PO. Doing oh, very good. And so. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know these characters are just hanging around in the background. I immediately went on every other uh, legacy character and even some of the modern characters IMDb yep, yep, yep. to see if any other, uh, like especially Jonas and Tomo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I didn't find anybody else. I thought like Alden Ehrenreich. I, I went and checked that out to see if maybe they're sure, going to throw sure. Han Solo's face on his body or you know. Yeah, I went, I went yeah, a little yeah. bit
1: IMDb nuts this morning. I mean. W- we've We've talked about the the obvious one could could uh, uh, Han and Little Ben be visiting Uncle Luke when Dinjaran goes to check on grogu that That's definitely one yeah. option um, at the same no, time I, I, I have think, another one. okay, do it. What if and this is just a nice way this is a nice way to nod to the character without having to make him integral to the story. Mm. What if Han solo? drops off a bunch of hired muscle in the Millennium Falcon, uh-huh. nod to the camera, I brought everybody in on the Falcon and then leaves. Maybe that would drive people more nuts than than Vespas because, <laughs> because un- you of... didn't use him.
2: Oh yeah. And because not, not even use him, you, you landed in an airfield right beside Boba Fett and you didn't yeah. have Hansel and Boba and Fett even have... have a conversation. Yeah.
4: <laughs> now I could
2: see that's, that would be grounds for almost war. Um, <laughs> So if they do use him, and I, I I I think it'll be as a you know a periphery thing. I don't know if you'll get him. Maybe maybe you'll get some serious. He's in I half the we, episode of of. Uh, I mean, we saw Luke do some crazy stuff. Maybe Han Solo is going to fly the Millennium Falcon, having
1: this conversation side by side
2: with the Slave One. Like
1: that could be. Could it be brother in laws ta- having a convers brother in laws having a, a brother in law moment? Maybe. Mm. But you can't have this conversation without talking about Harrison Ford, the actor. Right. And Harrison Ford's position on the Han Solo character. Right. He wanted Han Solo to die right. in the original trilogy and got his wish in the sequel trilogy. What well, if, if there's a reason, true, though,
2: there's a reason there's, he wanted that to happen because yeah. he didn't think that anything George did with the character had enough oomph yeah that's fair um like he he wanted the character to have some more gravitas and thought that he should die heroically you know sacrificing himself to save other characters yeah. um and that's whether it was thin or not that's what jj J. abrams gave yeah. him and and therefore the that was agreed but uh, basically like because he did a lot of interviews agreeing to the reason yeah, that he yeah, was yeah. going to return to the character was yeah. that yeah, yeah um of course we've seen him Say he's never going to do Star Wars again, and there he popped it's a, up in. Uh, never
3: say never, but and right? it's
1: arguable that he didn't save his son. I mean, right. you know, you can't convince me that the ghost of Han Solo showed up and convinced his son to to, to change. That's his mother's influence through right. the Force, manifesting right. that that image for him. If you ask that's, me, but
2: that's Ben Solo's conscience, right there. Sure, what Han, sure, what, what Han Solo yeah. a, is yeah, yeah. there. Uh, and there's a lot of nuance to that scene in Force Awakens too. A lot of people are are are, yeah, yeah, yeah. are convinced that Han Solo, not, what he does there, that he, he, there, pulled, that he yeah. sacrifices himself, that 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 he actually knows that like that he takes that, the that lightsaber down the road and he
1: plunges it into his own. Yeah, chest there. The, yeah, yes, I I've heard that as well. Right. Yeah, I have heard that as well. Yeah, the whole you know, what would you do, and and the answer being anything. And
2: uh, coupled with the fact that they've delayed the indie movie because the, because they want to perfect the de aging, the de aging technique. Uh, yeah, apparently, yeah. a certain uh, percentage of the script is set uh, with a younger indie. Um,
1: we can talk about that for a second too, the, because the remember remember after the uh, the Mandalorian sequence, and then the fake guy, right? The yeah. deepfake guy. Everybody was like, "Oh my god." And then they went and hired him. Yes. So, I mean, if they're going to DH Han Solo, they've got that technology plus that guy uh, in their back pocket. So I'm quite intrigued to see how this turns out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah.
3: But that's our episode.
1: That's it. I don't know about you guys, but uh, it was jam-packed. This is Not only is it the longest episode of uh, Book of Boba Fett, it's the longest episode of our little review series here Mm -hmm. that we like to call the book of boba fandom but man uh,
2: i think that might have been my favorite episode of all three seasons of this star wars resurgence i mean like the parts of that luke skywalker parts of that skywalker thing got me off but yeah i mean certainly the the big payoff at the end and uh the ahsoka episode was stunning but i'm i was quickly reminded of, of of because it's been a bit since we've been with this character, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're sitting with a lot of memories. And I, 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 I frequent all these shows, and I rewatch pieces of them all the time. Yep. Me too. Um, but I really like this character, Jaran. I mean a I lot. Do as well. I mean, like top five.
1: Mm, yeah, I'm probably in this in a similar range as that. Yeah, yeah.
2: and and growing uh, a lot about the things that he went through and did in that episode. Oh, sure. Probably lifted him out of the top five and into the top three.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we've got uh, we've got two more to get to, uh, and that's going to be in the month of February because this is this is our last uh, episode for January. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to be a change of format uh, on the next one because I won't be here. Um, but hopefully, the show will surge on as uh, as it should. I don't necessarily have to be here to make sure that that happens. So, um, but we will take care of that on the back end so that you guys, all you got to do is show up and enjoy. Our little show here again it's the it's fandom power presents the book of boba fandom and uh, until our next episode guys uh, for fandom power my name is wes i'm andy i'm hank and we'll see everybody on the next one Bye this, for now, is, everybody. The way.
3: <laughs> this is the way this is the way
0: <laughs> yeah. hey guys thanks for listening to fandom power be sure to like us on facebook and follow us on instagram and twitter Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favourite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.